quack, quack, quack. Oh my goodness, we got a big one. The Ducks, you know, they're not just going to play another Portland State. You can't do that two times in a row. We're, we're definitely ramping up the competition because we're going to Texas. And we're going, like, kind of in the middle of nowhere, Texas. I, I didn't quite realize that before we got into this game. But I've heard five hours away from a lot of things quite a bit. But at the same time, I also know a lot of crazy passionate fans are going to be there. And I'm very excited to see this game. Uh, I know it's going to be a challenge. And there's some familiar faces. Tim DeRuiter, uh, Tyler Shuck, of course, Shuck the Duck. And speaking of familiar faces, we've got Hithliday on the show to help break down this roster. Hithliday, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, I'm overly confident, which means I think we may actually lose this game. So I'm going to need to, I need to even out. So uh, this knowledge should help me out. Uh, uh, this too shall pass. Right. <laughs> uh, today, we are very lucky to be speaking to a member of the Cotton Club crew, which is the Texas Tech podcast. Please go over there. They are over on uh, on on everything, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Give them five stars. Leave them a comment. Um, and today we have the one, the only Macon of the Cotton Club crew. How you doing, Macon? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me along, guys. Absolutely. Uh, we, we are very grateful that we're, you let us pick your brain, and so I'm not going to waste any more time. I, let's just get right into it. Sounds good to me. Uh, so, Macon, I, uh, I, I watched all of Texas Tech's games in uh, 2022, and uh, it, it was certainly an interesting experience. I, look, we're going to start out talking about the offense. We usually do. As I mentioned before we started recording, it was, it was interesting because I got to see Zach Kitley again. He was, the, uh, he was the offensive coordinator before he was at Texas Tech or actually returned to Texas Tech. He was the coordinator at Western Kentucky in 2021. They were the number six offense in uh, in F plus uh, he had Bailey Zappi as the quarterback who got drafted they broke a bunch of records and Oregon fans may be interested to know uh, under uh, Zach Kitley was uh, the running backs coach Carlos Lachlan and the running back Noah Whittington you know that was the reason why I was watching that film and one of the grad assistants is now the offensive coordinator at Wazoo you know it turned out to be you know useful film to watch that whole season so this was the second straight year that I was watching Zach Kitley film it was a it, it was was a change of both head coach and offensive coordinator for Texas Tech. What what have you thought about the new offense under head coach Joey McGuire and offensive coordinator Zach Kitley? Actually, really interesting talking about, we were kind of talking about this before we started, about how these staffs are all kind of running into each other. Zach Kitley's first return to Lubbock was as the offensive coordinator with Bailey Zappi at uh, now Houston Baptist, I believe then right. Houston Christian. Um, they ran into there and damn near knocked off Tech in that weird COVID season. Um, that was a terrifying game. And they 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 did basically whatever they wanted in that game. The Red Raider defense was utterly unprepared. And that kind of signaled the start of the end of the Matt Wells era. Um, Joey McGuire came in afterwards. He's a longtime Texas high school football coach. Um, so is most of his staff, pretty much the entire staff, other than really a couple of guys, including Tim DeRuiter, have deep ties to the region, Oka spanning many years, a lot of young coaches. Um, Zach Kitley is actually one of the older coaches on the offensive staff and one of the more experienced. It's a crazy um, thing to say because he's, you know. 
yeah he's he's like 29 or something you know yeah he's a young guy it's a young staff um year one of the joey mcguire era was also additionally challenging texas tech since patrick mahomes has left has had an extremely difficult time keeping quarterbacks healthy yeah i think since then a starter has not finished a year and at times several times over the last eight nine years now they've uh they what are we on seven years now since Mahomes left um they have had to go two to three deep at quarterback including actually I think more often than not they've gone three deep including last year um Tyler Shuck was hurt early in, in the opener um Donovan Smith played he was banged up and replaced by Baron Morton in Oklahoma State, who then, because the football gods are cruel, was hurt against TCU. Shuck returned. He wasn't that healthy in that game, but he returned to health and closed out the year. Um, heading through Wyoming, the overall summation of the offense has been, I think, disappointing is, is the best way to say it. I think year one, you can excuse some of the, the nonsense that occurred. Do you include 2022's performance? Or were you just talking about what Wyoming say? Um, 2022 is a bit of a challenge because I personally didn't like some of the things we chose to do in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of this can be attributed to number one, turning over a roster and number sure. two, the, the difficulties at quarterback. Um, I thought there yeah. were the same self-inflicted wounds in 2022 that we then saw show up against Wyoming, which I think yeah. demonstrates this is more systemic than it was like, oh, well, we, we had to rotate between admittedly very talented quarterbacks. Donovan Smith now starting at U of H. Baron Morton's a starting caliber a quarterback at the Power Five. He'll inherit the offense, and he may end up your starter this year um, as Shuck continues to play poorly. I so, kind of have a theory that that might happen, but I but please continue. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a question – that I think everybody's wondering, I'd be fine making that change. I understand why they're not, but I I would be personally fine giving Morton a chance to try to spark this offense. Um, Let me put it this way. Zach Kittley came in highly built due to his body of work uh, from HBU and Western Kentucky. He came in with a lot of promise, a lot of uh, considering Sonny Cumbie inherited the the last Texas Tech offense under Matt Wells. Uh, David Yost was the guy who was brought in. He was just, I mean, Awful doesn't begin to sum up how bad of an offensive coordinator he was. Sonny <laughs> Cumbie came in and did a very good job trying to to both after Sonny Cumbie was one of the two uh, uh, TCU uh, offensive coordinators during that run. You know, in 2014, Doug Meacham was the other one, right? Yes. And, uh, you know, when they were putting up like a million points, right. And they, it was like one half of that brain trust that everybody was like, you know, we got to get, you know, one of those dudes. Yes. And the other part of that was that Sonny Cumbie and Gary Patterson had a fundamental disagreement on the role of offense Yeah, that contributed to the end of his relationship at TCU and how he ended up at tech. Um, the biggest credit I can say about Sonny Cumbie more than anything else was Matt Wells is fired midway through the season after blowing the Kansas state game. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sonny Cumbie steered the ship into a bowl game in a bowl victory over Mike Leach, then at Mississippi state um, rest in peace. But the, the, that set up the Joey McGuire era, Zach Kittley came in. There's a lot of promise of high powered offense. We didn't see it. There was a lot of promise coming through to Wyoming to see a high powered offense. We yeah. saw a quarter of it. Um, I have serious questions about the offensive coordinator. I mean, I am still, I think, not the majority of tech fans, but I think we're getting there. I think last season I was kind of shouting by myself like, hey, some of the things we're doing have nothing to do with the quarterback being healthy or not. This year, after what seeing what happened against Wyoming, 
there are very, very serious concerns. And I'm going to be honest here, unless there are significant changes made, Zach Kittley will not survive another year in Lubbock. This stuff we did against Wyoming cannot happen again. If it does, he may not make it through half the year. I mean, that's what we're talking about, level of poor offensive coordinator performance, Uh, which is hard to say for Texas Tech fans and hard, or excuse me, hard for them to hear because of the history of this program being so offensively orientated. But the reality of the situation is, is that we were sold on a certain dream of Zach Kittley coming here. We haven't touched it. The closest we got was Oklahoma and Ole Miss last season, both his two best games. And I think the games that really convinced everybody we were going to come out with Wyoming with an entirely new offensive attack. We didn't see that against Wyoming. And I'm sure we'll go through some of what went wrong there down the line. But the gist is, I think I'm still the not the majority in saying that I'm kind of getting sick of this. But I think after that performance there is a growing percentage of the texas tech fan base that is starting to wonder does this kid really know what he's doing does he is he able to handle this level it it is it's really shy making i I gotta say you i'm sort of breathing a sigh of relief here because i was thinking this entire like i I did all my film study on texas tech before i turned on the wyoming film it's not like i tried to cram 13 games of it in between you know the wyoming game and right now uh you know and, and all throughout watching that that film you know just in the back of my mind i was like this is the team that everybody, or this is the offense that everybody was, you know, super excited about and was talking about as a, you know, as a dark horse to, to win the big 12 and, and maybe go to the playoffs. Cause like, I'm, I, I'm not seeing it. Like I was seeing a, a very, a defense that was kicking butt and we'll talk about the defense in, in the second part of this podcast. Um, but like, I really, it, it was very clear to me that it was a defense led team. Um, and which is maybe a strange thing for, for Texas tech fans. Like, I'm not sure. I mean, has that ever been said before about a Texas tech team? You know, the last couple of years, Texas tech has been taking pretty massive step forwards defensively. One of the funniest things I think about how bad tech has been defensively since Kingsbury got here is that Texas tech has probably been the best linebacker producing um, college in the Big 12 and one of the best Boy, in the nation. I really um, got, like last year's, both the last year's linebackers. I, both I mean, did well. Keisha Merriweather's still looking for a job, but before that, you had Jordan Brooks. It's really crazy that they nobody picked him up. I, uh, I mean, he was really good. Yeah, I uh, Keisha Merriweather, Jordan Brooks, Dakota Allen. I mean, there was a bunch. I mean, they, they well, you know, they kind of lost, uh, lost a bunch off of the defense. We'll talk about the defense. We talk about the defense. But yes, the point being is that that what we saw against Wyoming isn't necessarily, I think, a culture shock that the defense has continued to get better. For instance, Tyree Wilson being a top ten draft pick last year. Yeah. But the the hype around that offense was we again we were being sold things by the staff who by the way it's their job to do that i'm not i'm not trying to go we were misled they saw something in practice their job is to get the fans excited but the reality is we were told any number of things about the offense and very very few of them showed up against wyoming outside the first court really the first two drives of the game by the time tech hit that field goal to go up 17 you could already see the wheels starting to come off of tyler shuck and the offense so the fact that it was that bad is particularly stark compared to what we've been told and that it's you know you prove it on the field that's all season talk goes to a point and that is i think the hardest part of this to stomach is not just that we are probably not as good as we think we are until we demonstrate it but the other the really hard thing to handle that is just 
you told us this offense is great. You can't circle back and be like, well, we're not ready or we're still growing, whatever. You can't do that now. Something's wrong. And you've told us all offseason. It's not the players on the roster. So who's responsible? And I am very firmly in the camp. You hold the man responsible who signs his name next to the check that says offensive coordinator. I mean, the thing that I, I mean, I, I, I can't disagree with anything that you're saying. Um, in fact, frankly, like as a film reviewer who frequently like questions my sanity, a lot of what you're saying is like a big relief to me because I was a little worried that I'd be button heads with you because like, yeah, I mean, I was seeing all of this and like the Wyoming game didn't really come as a huge shock to me because like I was sort of seeing, I mean, it came as shock to me because I sort of thought like a lot of the stuff that I was seeing in 2022 would have been corrected over the off season or improved upon. And then it wasn't. And and so that was a shock, but like that I was seeing, like none of it was like, oh, that's unfamiliar. Oh, I never saw that before. Like, no. Um, and and the other thing that, that, that you mentioned um, that I definitely 100% agree with is it, how difficult it is to disentangle because I think there's lots of things going on. And actually, I think that none of them are super major, but I think they're all sort of reinforcing of one another. Like, I don't think you can point to any one thing and say, aha, this is it. And so like, let me list them. And then you tell me if you think any one of those things is like, no, 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 not that. Okay. So number one thing that's crazy, we, we've already been talking about, which is Zach Kitley. You know, I watched him in, at Western Kentucky in, in 2021. And I was like, this dude is good at self-scouting he's you know i charted the games right and, and i i run it through a, a, a basic you know statistical regression engine where it's like it's very easy for the computer to identify you know because i marked down what the play call was and then it you know you already know what the result is you know that like hey this play call was successful you should call that play again or this play call tends not to be very successful you shouldn't call it so often and like he was really good at that at western kentucky um and then at, when I'm watching the film in 2022 at, at, at Texas Tech, it's like it's he stands that on his head. He keeps calling plays that don't work. And and there's a there's a handful of plays that are really, really effective for Texas Tech, like some of those in-breaking intermediate routes. Um, and it's like it's once in a blue moon that he calls the play. And it's like, Zach, you know, what are you doing? Um, so number one, number two. Um, is the quarterback situation, you know, that you mentioned where it's like, look, you know, it really like the Tyler Shuck situation just really sucks. Like it really, really sucks. I think he got a raw deal at Oregon. I really do. Like I was writing all those articles about Tyler Shuck where I was like, Oregon fans, you're being jerks. Like this guy's, you know, he's a, he's a red shirt freshman in the, in a COVID season. Uh, and you take that stuff into account. Like the, this talent is real. You need to give him some time to, to grow and develop. And instead, like, you know, the previous staff at Oregon sort of chased him off and then as development has really, I think, been screwed with by the fact that he broke his collarbone in 2021, you know, in week four as the starter at Texas Tech. And then he injured his shoulder in week one in 2022 and, and missed like eight weeks. Uh, you know, so it's like, you know, it, it's not just like, you know, for anybody who's like, oh, you know, Tyler Shuck just sucks as a quarterback. We've got to keep in mind this dude has missed so much developmental time. Right. You know, 20, 2020 was a, a screwball season. 2021, you know, he missed like almost all of it because of a broken collarbone, uh, which means like you can't really physically practice. Right. Because it's excruciating pain, which Oregon fans ought to sympathize with because it happened to Justin Herbert in 2017. Uh, and then, you know, 2022, I believe 
uh, actually, I'll pause for a second and ask you what you're thinking about this is, Macon. I think they kind of rushed him back onto the field because Donovan Smith couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, and and Baron Morton, who has a ton of physical talent, like that dude, if he ever gets the butterflies out of his ears as an NFL quarterback, like, oh my God, his arm, but like he's a kid, you know, and he was making mistakes. And I think maybe they rushed Tyler Shuck back onto the field before he was a hundred percent actually making, what do you think about that? I, so Tyler Shuck returns to play against TCU in a situation where Baron Morton, I believe hurt his ankle was what brought him down. Um, Donovan Smith at this point of the year has pretty much been relegated to being a gadget back. Yeah. Um, That, that, I mean, no offense to Donovan Smith. The kid is an absolute warrior. He did great work. Yeah. As he won some games with Tech, and he took care of business, especially in that Texas game. But the reality situation is that he is not a Big 12 starting quarterback. I yeah. think that will hold U of H down immensely. Was Shuck 100% healthy against TCU? I don't know. Um, there were some reasons why he was not the starting quarterback in that game, which had to do with concern over his health. Um, the other concern being uh, – uh, Really, you know, if you look at Morton's stats through 2022, the Baylor game as an offense tech was just bad. This was a really (laughs) bad game, or really for the team. I mean, Baylor, what's crazy is even though the final score is ridiculous, 45-17, it was a one-score game heading to the fourth quarter. Yeah, until all three quarterbacks start throwing picks, right? Like, Chuck actually comes back for that game, you know, and his first throw is a pick. Other than Baylor, because – Morton was good, if not great, and he was great against Oklahoma State, great against West Virginia. And to be honest, he was playing very, very well and likely would have beaten TCU, right? Like if we want to talk about TCU last year, I think the total number was four starting quarterbacks are hurt in games against TCU. If Baron Morton plays that whole game, Tech runs away with it. They they had whatever they wanted offensively. Defensively, TCU was – was completely flummoxed by the tech pass rush. Max Duggan had no answers. It's when Morton goes down and the offense had to basically hit the brakes that this whole thing broke down. But point being, Shuck takes over afterwards as the starter. He was fine against Kansas. He was bad against Iowa State, though Iowa State last year was fantastic defensively. It was a tough out for that program. Yeah, it was crazy. They they had like the number five defense and the number like 112 offense. Yes, know? and they, they were very tough. It was at home and it was cold as hell in November um, for Iowa State. Oklahoma was great and Ole Miss, he was great. Oklahoma was – what a terrible – like – it was so weird watching that film that what just a badly coached team like there were there were you know i had by that point in the season i had then watched you know you know 11 previous texas tech games and i was familiar enough to to identify like okay these are the vulnerabilities that that this team has and then oklahoma was exploiting none of them and it was like kansas was exploiting those vulnerabilities and, and oklahoma was like less well coached than kansas like i'm not trying to like say you know tech didn't deserve that win cuz oklahoma you know, was a, a piss poor team. I mean, I guess I'm kind of saying that, but like, was that, I mean, it was shocking to me as like, what, what a piss poor team that was. Yeah. That OU team was, was very bad, but you know, Shuck came out through for 436. All miss was a game in which tech controlled it for most of that game. Um, controlled yeah. it really from the jump was clearly more motivated and better coached in that football game. Yeah. But yeah, the, the classic uh, SEC excuse. To give you a record or a reason why Tyler Shuck is the starting quarterback is because you just he just didn't lose many games as a starter. He just didn't lose 
many games at Texas Tech. But if you look at the level of competition and you look at who he's up against now and you look at what's happened in the games where he struggled, the answers are very, very apparent with Tyler Shuck that uh, uh, there are issues with his arm talent. There are I mean, issues with his decision making. Yeah. And the biggest problem with Tyler Shuck and the one that continues to drive me insane is the kid is a straight up basket case. The yeah. second the game starts to slip, the second it starts to slip, he implodes. I mean, Wyoming, mm-hmm. he came out in the uh, the third series of the game where Tech kicks that field goal. And the second it got started to get away from him, it. I don't know what they tell him on the sideline. I don't know what runs through his head. I, I, I really don't know what Zach Kitley tries to do, do to manage this as also the QB coach. But one of the biggest problems Texas Tech has is the whatever dynamic exists between Kitley and Shuck in terms of how plays are called, what reads are being made, and what audibles are being made is completely out of sync. And then Shuck is just panicking over yeah. and over and over. I mean, you, plays you're, you're talking football. to a couple of Oregon fans. You don't got to tell us. I mean, it's very, <laughs> but like, I, I got to, you know, to the extent that I'll defend him, like it, it's the kind of thing that like, if he had had a normal quarterback development that by the time that he's like, I mean, like in, in terms of year in school, the dude's like a, a redshirt senior at this point, right? Yeah, like he came I into think, school in 2019. He probably would have been cured of that stuff by now, I, but I like, think, yeah, he spends so much time sitting on the bench that like, he's not like, he's still, you know, seeing phantoms. I, I think, I think it is fair to say that the injuries have substantially hurt his development and the problem, but it is just, we play big boy football at this level, you know, and that is the issue. We can't sit around and wait for the guy who should have been King to figure it out. I think Tyler Shuck came to Texas tech and looked in the limited action. We saw him as a starting quarterback before his initial injury and the limited action. We saw him in 2022 and the limited action uh, we've had this year with only really one game. You know, that is our sample size for 2023. I think that he has shown both everything he could have been and everything he actually actually is and the issue Zach Kitley has is at what point do you say potential isn't enough to continue to justify him being your starting quarterback well, because Baron Morton is a potential idea there is no guarantee you make this switch to quarterback and Baron Morton comes out and carries his offense either but on the flip side of this is one guy is the future of this program Baron Morton will be your starting quarterback next year unless one of these recruits comes in and beats him out, which I don't see happening. I, I don't see that happening either. Like, uh, I mean, uh, I've we'll, looked at I've looked at Texas Tech's for you know recruiting because I had to fill out the roster database. But yeah, I don't I don't see it. Will like, um, I'm blanking on the last name. He just dropped 700 odd yards in the 80-82 game. He's a fantastic quarterback. Did a lot of work at the Elite Eleven. Um, he's generating a lot of buzz around it, but he's not going to be ready year one. Very few freshmen are. So I mean, I mean, that was the thing about Baron Morton, though. I'm like, look, man, I watched that film like, I, you know, t- Tyler Shuck is the starting quarterback because of their three options. And I know that Donovan Smith's transferred out. But like, look, he was the best quarterback on the roster. He was better than Baron Morton, you know, on balance, because look, uh, uh, Baron Morton was it's true, like a little less of a basket case. And it's true in, in the sense of like, you know, 
like he wouldn't like panic when things were going wrong as much um and it's true that like oh my god his arm talent like holy cow like uh, you know like tyler shuck's got a pretty good arm i i think um but you know you can certainly hit every point on the field i don't really have any complaints there but morton's oh my god that's that's an nfl arm um but like dude dude was a freshman last year and like i, I mean i've got it all over my tally sheet of him making like that's not the right read dude like that's you know i mean oh, I've got, oh absolutely you I know and chuck... it's like look on balance tyler shuck would in the games that he played was getting you in less trouble than baron morton was in 2022 now it's a year later uh, you know eventually guys grow up um so Dude, i don't look, know Ty i mean tyler shuck the best way i've heard it described by folks around texas tech is tyler shuck practices extremely well he practices mm -hmm. extremely well, which has allowed him to fend off a challenge for Morton. But the real answer, the simplest answer for why Tyler Shuck is your quarterback this year is because you never change a quarterback who's winning and Shuck won out the close last year. It was that simple. This was never an actual quarterback contest. Shuck would have had to lay a, a just unmitigated disaster of a spring or fall camp to lose this job because sure. you're not going to make that change. So that's why I don't think that they made the wrong decision running with Shuck. But I have to ask the staff and the question they will continue to have to fend off as we go. And there are it's not just Shuck, right? Like I put responsibility on Kitley and you mentioned some of the things that I hope we'll have a chance to talk about with regard to. Um, Do we both, even scratch the surface, man? This is the overview. Yeah, the, the 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 both the overarching problem with Kitley's play calling, the reliance on scheme that doesn't seem to match up with what anybody's watching, the 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 going to the well on plays that we've seen not work, and then doing them over and over and over again while avoiding plays that seem to be more effective. Um, all of that is absolutely big problem with this offense. Where the conversation happens with the quarterback now is the issue is. The offense is what it is. Like, I would like to believe Zach Kittley's going to change systems, but he yeah. ain't going to. Well, that right? ain't going to happen. Yeah, he he ain't going to do what he's not going to do. So and let me I, finish. But before we, you know, before we get back to, to you yeah, know, Kittley's yeah, play absolutely. calling. Um, and and then when we finish with Kittley's play calling, we're going to talk about, you know, these uh, players in depth. Um, but like I said, we're still in the overview, man. Uh, I want to finish listing, you know, issues that make it like, complicated to tease out where you know because i don't think there's a problem i think there's a number of sort of reinforcing problems so other issues i think are the offensive line was not great in pass protection and i don't really think they were great in opening holes um in the running game i think that a lot of the passing game you know went through the quarterback having to improvise it, it's like i don't know how much then you can blame the the offensive coordinator for play calling if like the quarterback isn't isn't throwing the the pass that like the, the the offensive coordinator called because the the offensive line is getting blown up. You know what I mean? And I think that like Sir Roderick Thompson, the running back who I loved, I I loved Thompson. Fortunately, he's gone now. I think he wound up with the Saints, which is great. Thompson had this great ability to like improvise plays, like bounce outside um, and do great stuff. Taj Brooks, I think, has a great ability. Who's the returning running back um, has a great ability to like run through contact. Um, but like running through contact gets you less yards than running around contact. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. To this point, one of the things I will say is here's a stat. Tyler Shuck had a clean pocket on 80% of dropbacks last night, right? Like the offensive line did its job in pass protection. If mm. Shuck's panicking, and I watched him bail 80 out. 80% is pocket. not the number that I come up with. 
<laughs> not even. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm just quoting a stat by uh, the, the 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 stats of war guy who's he's from. All right. He's from the team. Frogs. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like Parker a lot. Yeah, he. But that's his stat. But my my read of the situation with the offensive line and with Shuck's decision making in general, the biggest complaint or the biggest difficulty, I should say, is a better way to phrase that. With what is happening with the offense, is nobody knows who is ultimately making the call because we have been told repeatedly that the guy who has total control of the offense is Tyler Shuck. He can audible hmm. out of any play, any situation. And what is frustrating about that is it means that, look, and this is why I blame the offensive coordinator, because who decides what audibles go into the game is yeah. Zach Kitley, and who decides what those reads are is Zach Kitley, and who coaches your quarterback through it. But at the end of the day, it is it would be a lot easier to be told what a lot of coaches say, which is, yeah, he can't touch the play call. We don't allow that. I call yeah. the check from the side. And then I'd have an understanding of, okay, uh, uh, why are we throwing out routes that Chuck is not able to get the ball out to today, you know, against Wyoming? Every power pass to the perimeter was an adventure. Is he calling the route? Is Kitley continuing to go to it? Is, 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 uh, does Chuck want to keep checking down into these little, uh, uh, I don't know what they're formally called, but those little trap pulls that we kept doing is, is Kitley calling it. And that frustrates me to no end. Um, but yeah, I, as for, I think the overarching thesis of like what's wrong with the Texas Tech offense, the sh- simplest answer is the best answer. It's pretty much a little of everything is yeah. wrong. With the There's offense. one more thing that I want to list, which maybe you will find controversial, um, which is I kind of am not in love with this wide receiver core. When I was filling out my my database, you know, when I saw guys like Dran Bradley and Luke Fungi, and I was like, holy cow, six, five receivers, you know, playing for Texas Tech. I was like, oh, my God, these guys are going to light, you know, the world on fire. And like and then I watched the film and I'm like. These guys keep dropping the ball and they're, they're not really creating a ton of separation. And yet Kitley kept insisting on running them on these like sideline go routes where they're like not beating the cornerback. And then when they are, they're dropping the ball or or like losing 50-50 balls. And then they're not playing guys like J.J. Sparkman or Trey Cleveland. I know Cleveland transferred out where like Sparkman and Cleveland would win those, you know, um, but, you know, he wouldn't like those guys were lower in the rotation um and yet those guys did have some good routes like you know those 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 in-breaking routes or like post routes or whatever but like it was like once in a blue moon that kitley would call them so like that's another complicating factor for me which is that like i think that those guys had better and worse routes and kitley was calling the wrong ones so like uh what do you think about that assertion uh, so I can say that Texas Tech is still developing a deep threat, right? Like the receiving core was pretty objectively not great last season. There was a lot of guys that you were counting on to be both who are both very young and very inexperienced. You were counting on to take outsized roles to, based on the number of departures, losing as a comma. Uh, you, you were just trying to rebuild a receiving core. This season, from what I have seen, I think the biggest problem we have right now is a is a route tree that doesn't take advantage of what these guys want to do well it was clear to me that wyoming yeah oh i couldn't agree with that more i think i think from the outset the game plan for wyoming was pretty simple keep it keep it easy and throw it up to receivers who had height matchup problems and i I, and on premise i don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with saying like hey these guys are bigger wyoming's got some speed but we got size we can we can spread them out and they can't jump with us but, but then the issue but is then shuck wasn't placing the ball precisely where it needed to be in those, order to 
yeah, those are just tough throws to make. Those are tough. That is the most difficult like, throw to ask. Like if a, you tower over the opposing defensive back, if the quarterback can place it in that particular spot so that like, well, the DB can't even, you know, break it up, then like, yeah, great. But like he wasn't even doing that. And the issue with it is these shot plays, which is what they wanted to do. They wanted to attack vertically and they wanted to attack the sideline. The problem with the shot plays is it is at a hundred percent, the most effective way to put yourself behind the chains. And that happened early and often every drive, every drive, they did it. And as a result of this, you're talking about a lot of third sevens, a lot of third and eights. And since I, and again, I would love to know who calls what on the field, but the inability to target the middle of the field. And the other problem with this is Wyoming accepted the mismatch and said, we're playing seven yards off the ball. We will not get beat over the top. We will not get beat over the top. We can't run with you. We can't jump with you. You're going to stay in front of us. And Zach Kittley's response to that was, well, we're going to keep testing the cushion. It's like, well, they know what you're going to do. And if you keep going at them, I know, man, even with Shuck, even if Shuck had his best game, he was going to struggle with the fact that the DBs were accepting, hey, uh, Bradley's a big guy. We don't necessarily, their best cover corner in this game gets hurt. At, from that point on, they were playing damn near 10 yards off the ball. And uh, they were looking at it and said, hey, you know, they're not looking to test us underneath. They're not looking to test us in the middle. They're not really looking to test on the ground. We're just going to back up and let him throw into traffic. And we don't think that quarterback can do it. And unfortunately, Shuck couldn't do it. He couldn't do it this night. And there aren't many quarterbacks who could have done it under that situation. I mean, that's the thing that was crazy, though, is that like none of these things were things that we didn't see in 2022. You know, like like the Wyoming game was not like this, like, oh, my God, where did that come from? You know, like. Yeah, you know, and, and 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 you know, I just you know, we listed a bunch of different things where you know, as, as you said, like it's all a bunch of different, you know, factors. But it's like you know, all of these sort of have solutions. Um, and it's like you know, Kitley wasn't. He, it's like he wasn't interested in solving them. He was interested in running like, oh, it's another flanker screen. Like every time they'd line up in double stacks, it's like, oh, I wonder what this play is going to be. You know, or like yet another off tackle power where like they can't. They cannot execute the off-tackle power blocking. Um, like, it's so crazy. Like, I mean, it's bonkers to me that their success rate on, on, on off-tackle power runs is, like, in the teens. It's so nuts. What I tell people is that, hey, like, I, I know enough about football to generally understand what's happening. I can generally figure out what we're trying to do. But it, the only thing I've come to the conclusion on is either we are actively trying to lose football games or somebody's <laughs> watching the wrong film because that happened all last year. They would line up, they yeah. put a tight end hand on the ground, and they'd run these really slow, these really elongated exchanges. And the issue is, is that the offensive line, the best running plays were, okay, Taj Brooks is the most effective when he goes straight downhill, hits the hole, and makes a decisive read. Yep. But we keep trying to string it out and string it out. And the yep. offensive line, God rest their soul, I played offensive line. Those plays suck to execute. You have yeah. to beat guys who are more athletic than you and, and as strong as you are. That was a good Wyoming defensive line. And here's the worst part about it is I also tell people this all the time, is I should not know what play we're going to call based on the formation. I should not. The second oh we God. put up a run, what I consider now the Texas Tech run formation, the second I see it, it's oh, one it's of so two predictable. Plays. It's either oh. they're going to hand it off or Shuck's going to do that little, uh, he gives like a shoulder dip to yep. throw a wheel and then they run something to the sideline. And yep. it, it, it blows me away that I can see it. But Zach Gitley, a guy who, by all accounts, throughout his career, 
has been great at what he's done at each step of the way. That's the thing that's here. it's so nuts is that I watched that Western Kentucky film and he's not doing any. He doesn't have any of those problems in 2021. And that that's it's why like, did he get kicked in the head by a horse? Like, that's why I keep saying if the issue is that Tyler Shuck is checking into these plays then you have to take away his ability to audible. And if you're oh, not yeah. at this stage of the game saying, OK, our starting quarterback isn't making the right reads. We're going to the well on plays we know aren't working. You as a coach have to step in and say, all right, here's the issue. And if you're the problem, get out of the way. If you are the issue, you have got – because there's some grad assistant, receiver's coach, somebody is telling him, hey, coach, you know, we run this play, I think it was probably at least 60% of the touches to start in running back. See, None of them worked. None yeah, of them worked. But Macon, look, man, like I watched – they had the exact same problems when – when Donovan Smith and Baron Morton. Oh, it's not a quarterback. I, it's last why year. I, if the issue is truly that quarterbacks are making audibles, we have to take it out of the offense. But if, then there's no way that Smith and Morton were making that like they're their own men. They have their own fingerprints. Like there's no I, way I, all I three of those guys were making the same audibles. But like, the, the issue is that if these audibles are set on reads, if it's being triggered by what we're telling them to trigger it on, AKA Wyoming did, did really not elect is put much in the box well no i'm sure there are rpos and i'm sure they're like their rpo triggers like but it's like defenses know how to trigger them and the problem is like in my opinion the problem is the offensive line just can't execute the fundamental run play to this offense um i i I think the issue with the offensive line is just that particular run schematic we want to do is based around a principle it really is this stuff is stuff mike leach did that's where it comes from mike leach believed if i widen the splits we can run these we can pull these guards around and we can trap underneath we can run these powers we can do that because we've widened out the defense so much that's where that bleeds into this offense the issue is we tighten the shit out of the formation yep and we dare the defense exactly not to where we're going. that's what that's why i started out saying uh, I can't remember if we were doing this off air or not, but like everybody who comes off of Mike Leach's tree tries to marry Mike Leach's um, uh, uh, passing pattern with uh, a, a different, you know, offense. And uh, Kitley, a- as well as other very successful, you know, coordinators like uh, Lincoln Riley, uh, is doing it with a power RPO scheme. And like, well, guess what? Lincoln Riley was doing it with Oklahoma and USC's, you know, offensive line where you're talking about blue chips, not like USC's actually using their blue chips. But let's ignore that for the moment. Uh, the the, you know, Texas Tech, like, I'm sorry, like, I don't you know, I, I don't really mean to like, you know, harp on this or anything. But like I I watched I watched all year of these guys film like I'm, I'm not out here to try to make them feel bad. I hope their their moms aren't listening like I, like I was not watching Oklahoma's offensive line okay like I, I, I'm, I'm sorry guys like they were just they, they, they don't have the technical acumen to run the base play and they're not getting the Mike Leach advantage uh, you know the super wide splits the confused defensive lines like well, yeah you say this there is a uh, so the starting right tackles Caleb Rogers he played on the left tackle last year yeah right they um, they flipped the left and right, right tackles it was funny Jack Bell is a guy on our staff Jack Bell's and I have had many conversations about this offense. Caleb Rogers is the kind of kid that I can't figure out at this stage. And it is mean to say this, but do we really not have anybody at all who could do the job? I mean, I was reading an article in the avalanche journal in which Joey McGuire was openly speculating about like pulling him. I I just, at this point, at this point in time, we like, he's such a liability 
he is single-handedly dragging the average down. Like yeah. it, it, it is, and I hate it for well, him. But like, I don't think the Monroe Mills is that much better. We we had we had a conversation about this before the podcast uh, or before Wyoming, where we were talking about the fact that like all we want to see are the two tackles, and Caleb Rogers in particular have just fantastic games. And honestly, I saw a sack. I think that went to Rogers' credit. Um, that Chuck just blew holding the ball too long. Yeah, but, like we. I, I, I know watched the play a guy you're talking about who made procedural mistakes. I watched an offensive line that overwhelmingly can't run what we want to do, and I watched an offensive line that is not helping us out. Um, here is one thing about the running game I will say that we haven't touched on um, that I think is a massive issue. And Zach Kittley talked a bit about this in his press conference, talking about how he needs to do a better job getting the run game going. Here is a truth about all football. Everything's rhythm-based. Texas Tech likes to go fast because it's supposed to put yeah. you in a good rhythm. Any offensive coordinator worth their salt will tell you the same thing about a rush attack. Four to four and a half yards is more or less an average expectation for what you should do. Anything less mm -hmm. than that's a failure. Anything more than that's successful. Yep, I, I incorporate success rate into my charting system. Yep. The the only the only thing I think that Zach Kiltley seems to understand with regards to the running game is if we run once and it doesn't work, I have to abandon it for six plays. Tyler Shuck rushed 15 times in this game. Now, on face value, about six of those came in overtime, and I don't know how many ESPN yeah. is counting that were scrambles, so at right. least a couple of more. That doesn't alarm me. What does is Taj Brooks is your leading rusher. He was great last year, despite sharing a crowded backfield with Sir Roderick Thompson, who is another starting caliber back. Despite splitting time with him, he was clearly the best back in that field. He's a great running back. He'll be good if you let him. He touches the ball 11 times in this game, and he averages three and a half a carry. I understand the complaints about well, where's the home run? Where's the where's the the consistent toughness? But the 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 obvious answer to the question to me is okay. We ran him on first down. He fell for three to four yards. We throw twice and punt. And you can't do that and ask a running back to get any field. That's besides the fact we're checking in Cameron Valdez, who is a good running back in his own right. I, but I, yeah, I like Valdez. I, I just don't like. I don't think that any of those guys is Sir Roderick Thompson. Like I, I don't. I don't think it has anything to do with the running back. To be perfectly I, honest, I think with you. I think like, the issue is that if we want this running game to work. Somebody has to tell Zach Kitley that under 20 carries isn't going to do it. It just isn't going to get it done. Man, I, I really, I like 180 degrees think the opposite. Like, I, I mean, like, I agree that they need a running game, but I, like, I think it all just comes down to the offensive line. And that, like, I, I think that the magic of Sir Roderick Thompson was that he just bailed. Like, he would, they'd go for those off tackle power runs. And then rather than going through the designed gap, he'd just bounce out farther. You know, he, he'd take it wide through the, through the, through the you, you know, and run behind the wide receivers. And I, um, I, I think Sir Roderick Thompson was was a great like don't get me wrong Sir Roderick Thompson was a fantastic back his entire career. But we're talking about a back who lifetime in Taj Brooks 2021 had 87 carries. Uh, it was his first real year getting pretty significant share with six and a half a carry. 2022. Well, yeah, but they were running zone share. in 2021. Like in 2022, significantly larger share again because at this point both Thompson was banged up a lot during his career. Unfortunately, um, I think he might have had more luck finding his name in the NFL if he hadn't gotten as dinged as he did over the course of his tenure. Yeah. Um, Taj Brooks started to see more and more action. He was your most successful running back last year. A lot of it came in spurts. It, admittedly, you know, like that's not a secret. I think to most people that he had moments for game certainly against uh, U of H tended to be a game. He really found a lot of success, but the, the, I don't have an issue with, with what Taj Brooks does. And I don't necessarily believe 
about the the offensive line. Well, let me put it this way. They can't do what we want to do, but my only question is why do we want to do it? I don't understand. If you're looking at the yeah. scheme, you're looking at what we've got in the backfield. My aunt, my question continues to be with it is okay, we don't want we don't really want to give Taj Brooks the ball. That's apparent. Why this was a tight game from the start. We threw it way, a lot this game, and that's what Kitley wants to do. He doesn't want to give the ball on the ground to the backs. He just doesn't. That 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 is unless somebody's checking out of this, that's what's been apparent since 2022. Does not want to give the ball to his backs. He wants to trust Chuck or whoever the quarterback is through the air. So that's okay. I understand systematically why, but we have a body of proof that says okay, we can't execute the what we're doing right now. We tip every run. We tip every run. Every yes. run is slow developing. I mean, every run's tipped from the start. Making your 100% right. And I think my issue is, is just I would love to see what happens if the offensive line was told, okay, instead of lining up in the same one of two formations that we're going to run out of, instead of running one of two plays that we like to run, because really, I don't know how many different variations of the same play we saw, but the answer was, I think nearly every touch was one of two plays on the, out of the backfield, mm. uh, which is insane for any number of reasons but uh, my i i, I have a, to that uh, I, I mean other I than the quarter design quarterbacks plays yes yeah uh, they're exactly I, two i think i think that my my thing is i i do think the offensive line is a problem we knew they were last year they struggled immensely last season this year we were told they were going to get better it's a little early they struggled at times i thought at times we had they had issues but my problem is is that I don't fault an offensive line for not being able to execute a play in which the defense knows it's coming and we already know they can't block it. Because I, I think that if you let this offensive line do what it's best sure. at, which is turn around, hand the ball to Taj Brooks and block a, a simple zone read. block You can run the RPO without doing what we're doing. And that's what I don't really get. But it, the, the, the shortest answer is they're not going to do that, right? Like Zach Kittley's not going to give up the scheme. So we're going to keep seeing it. And it's going to keep not working unfortunately. And at some point, either Taj Brooks will have to figure out how to work around the fact that the offensive line can't block this up, or we're going to be in trouble because if we can't get more out of the backs than uh, 17 carries for a grand total of what was this? Uh, I was looking at it a minute ago, 59 yards against Wyoming. Yeah. Like if that's all we're going to do, we're, yeah, we're and, and no explosive rushing. The Tyler Shuck had the longest run and that was a scramble. Um, yeah, I mean that's really the. I mean, that I mean that's why I sort of understood. I don't really like this is the chicken and the egg problem. Like, look, man, you need to have a running game in order to lock down a lead, and your running game can't just be three yards every time. Like, you need to be able to get chunk yardage in order to have a viable running game, and they can't get chunk yardage. I, and yeah, I think I think that they just there has to be at some point a discussion about. Um, with the staff about saying, look, like we're either going to commit to doing this or we're not right. Like there yeah. are, you can do I mean, like, I, in my did. opinion, they, they just need to change up with the run scheme. Like I think they need to recognize, look, it's been two years. This in, this is like largely the same offensive line, right? You know, like I, I know they moved this, the center Dennis Wilburn to right guard and they brought in a new center um, from Western Kentucky, rusty stats um, who gosh, I sure hope he quits uh, uh, snapping the ball into Tyler Shuck's shoelaces. Um, uh, but you know, other than that, it's like basically the same offensive lines. It's been like two years. They, they can't execute this run scheme. They need to use a different run scheme and i think um, that's i think that's both true and i also i think what leads off of this is uh 
we got a couple of tight ends in this group. And I think, you know, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I, I only saw, I saw Mason uh, Tharp who I was expecting to see, but I didn't see Baylor cup and I didn't see Henry teeter. And as far as I'm aware, they're still on the roster. Instead, I saw like a walk on Jaden York, get a couple of catches. What, what was up with that? I really, I mean, if anybody knows, they're not saying, I know why Tharp, so where are you going to use your big tight end the best? You're going to use him in the middle of the field. Well, we don't have any interest in attacking that right now. Mm. So that limits the – like Mason Tharp is a good, I guess, speed for his size, but he's never going to beat somebody on the edge. That's just not him. And, again, his one target came to a route to the sideline, which he get banged up a bit, which probably why yeah. we didn't really see him again from that point on. Um, Jaden York's the smallest of the tight end room. Yeah. Um, Technically, he's listed at the same size as Henry Teeter. I've seen both of them. Jaden York's a little bit thinner. Um, So that I think that's why it speaks to why he was able to get a little bit more separation around to the perimeter. Why Baylor Cup didn't see a route. I I mean, I saw him on the field, but he was only blocking. But that was crazy because it was very clear to me from watching the film. The Cup is a better receiver. Like, I know he's three inches shorter, but like everybody in the universe is shorter than Mason Tharp. Like, uh, like Cup is a better receiver. Yeah, and, Baylor Cup, and even if like I under I, I'm fine rotating them out. I'm fine with Tharp getting extra touches. You exploit matchups wherever you can find them. But the reality is, is that there's no explanation for why total the group only accounted for three targets, two of which were to a guy literally nobody saw coming. I jet that was Jaden York's first reception as a Red Raider in the corner of that end zone. Right? I, I like, had never seen him before. I didn't see him in 2022. He, he wasn't even on my sheet because he was a walk on like he, he, or yeah, he came in. This was his first action. That was his first target and his first reception for that touchdown. I was like, who is Jaden York? So, but as far as you're aware, there's no injury issue. That Mason or... Tharp looked a little banged up late in that game. Like, I yeah, said, I know, but like in, with I don't believe. Or anybody was listed as questionable or not playing. I think there had been issues maybe in the off season, but as far as I know, as far as anybody knows, you know, Baylor cup was out there, right? Like Baylor cup had his hand in the Yeah. Crowd. But like, but I mean, I, I, I didn't see, but you know, I wanted to just check, like he didn't have like a, you know, oven mitts on or something. To, like that as far him. as I know. And as far as anybody knows, there wasn't any issues hampering his ability to run routes. Could there have been one they didn't disclose? Could he have had, I don't know, jammed a finger and warm up. Could he have had some sort of issue like that where they're like, okay, we want him out there but we can't really like we need to not go his way yeah um you know he's a big body he can spell but, tharp, but tharp is not a good blocker by the way tharp is too big to block I, yes i agree he, he just he has to bend over to do it and he loses all his power so, yes I like agree. baylor cup is a much more effective blocking tight end anyways and that seems to be what we want to do but the I, short answer is that this has been a drum people have been banging since 2022 which is we have these guys and we hype them up every year and then refuse to go to them we refuse outright to go to him yeah that's weird um wide receivers i i mostly saw the guys that i was expecting to see um one of the transfers i actually saw quite a bit dre mccray who who came in from the fcs ranks um actually looks pretty quick but he's another inside guy and they sort of you know they got inside guys for days right they got miles price who i like they got xavier white who i like i think they have still nehemiah martinez um who i liked a lot last year in fact i thought he was severely underutilized but then i didn't see him in this game then i read a weird article about his face being wrong like what like something about his his he got like in a fight or... yeah there was a fight at practice uh nehemiah if i recall correctly 
I think he was the guy who got punched in the face, oh, if I remember right. I don't. We were told the only the reason why I don't know this story better is because we were told at the time that no injuries were significant. Um, here's the thing, though: Nehemiah Martinez wasn't really supposed to be seen much last year. He kind of came out of nowhere and then injury and then got hurt. I really liked him. Did, um, did I think you... he's a great receiver, but I think he is a little bit stuck on the depth chart with the guys they've got that do similar things i expect we'll see more of him if the injury really was still hampering him again i if i remember right at the time we were told by coach mcguire there weren't expecting any issues he didn't need surgery any of that jazz um the real issue with the receiving core continues to be if you don't want to throw to the guys who i think are most effective in the middle of the field which are miles price and xavier white um, it's going to make it hard on your guys that you're testing. You're trusting to go deep because it just tr- it's it's creating a lot of traffic in a very thin part of the field. Yeah. I saw a lot of throws Shuck was trying to make where there were two or three defensive backs bracketing receivers because they right. know the ball's coming. Because they the knew, yeah, I I know exactly what you mean. Um, and then I saw, uh, I, I I saw JJ Sparkman on the field, but he you know all he ever did was run like fake sweeps to distract the defense, which of course they never, you know, bid on, of course, because why would they he never gets it? Um, like literally never, um, like not once, um, in 2022. Uh, and then they, you know, never threw in the ball. Uh, do, do I have that right? Yeah. I, I was a bit surprised, you know, he's had some really great moments for this yeah. team. And I think, I think everybody, him and Fungi were two guys that kind of, you know, everybody kind of assumed Bradley was going to take a step forward. Fungi was the other guy. I think everybody was kind of expecting to take a big step forward. But Sparkman was a cat who I think a lot of folks were saying, um, you know, maybe he's not your guy this season, but he's a guy that I think people were kind of counting on to be uh, 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 to be the kind of receiver that, you know, when 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 later down the line as we start to settle in he's a guy who you spell for either jaron bradley or fungi and ask him to take reps doing the same thing dude i straight up thought that sparkman and cleveland were the best outside receivers that texas tech had i thought they were way better than bradley and fungi last year he is a great we're going to talk about this a lot. There are certain decisions made that I don't get. I thought we were going to see more Sparkman last year. I thought we were going to see more of him against Wyoming. I couldn't tell you what happened and why we didn't see anything really go his way. It could have just been, again, because so little went right, it's really, really hard to know, like, what were we actually trying to do? Because nothing worked, really, after the first quarter. So it's really hard to be like, okay, was Shuck making the wrong read? Did he throw a bad ball? Did we run a bad route? Did we not block it? Did we call the wrong thing? Because we did one of those things or more than one basically every snap from that last scoring possession on. But I thought, I really thought, Sparkman was a guy that I would have liked to see a lot more of. I thought he, him and Fungi were, were, were going to be a lot of fun. I thought Bradley was going to be, you know, Bradley, of course, got his targets, got his looks. He's probably, he is going to be your guy this year. Um, regardless, he's going to be, he's, they're trying to use him to replace guys like TJ Vasher a few years ago as a comma. They're trying to mold him into the next deep threat. Um, he's a good receiver, very good talented receiver. Don't get me wrong, but the, the value of having multiple of these guys can't be understated because we want to test the perimeter so badly. And I think Sparkman not getting really much of a look to do it is kind of a criminal waste because it's I so, think he could, he could help what we want to do and what we seem fixated. I think he on. both has better foot speed and better hands. And uh, yeah, 
I, it's just yeah and it feels Bradley like we a... had in particular there were a couple of drops there i i thought the receivers did more or less a good job of what happened bradley had one really back-breaking drop a really just awful drop towards going towards the end zone wasn't the world's greatest throw to get me wrong but if it hits you in the yeah. hands you got to bring it down and it hit him in the hands which was honestly based on the coverage. It was a pretty damn good throw. I mean, he had to put a little bit of touch on it. It was a little low, but it was a ball where yeah. I hated that it was called to that route. But the fact that it hit him in the hands made it infinitely worse because it's one of those, you know, if you coach, if you ever watch basketball players, um, there's moments where somebody shoots a three where you're just like, no, 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 no. And then they drain it and you're like, okay, good shot. Okay. <laughs> that was what that looked like to me. And then he just dropped the, the wide yeah. open pass. And that was a moment where I, I it shows how far this receiving core still has to go in terms of trying to develop somebody who we can say, um, we're going to, he is going to be who takes all the attention and takes the top off the defense. I don't but, think we're there yet to have one. Here's um, that's, the, oh, go, go ahead. Well, I, I, I wanted to wrap up on the offense and, and, you know, what I've sort of said here is that, or, or, or my opinion about Texas Tech, for anybody who watched the Wyoming game and thought, oh my God, this why this Texas Tech offense is just, uh, you know, a, a, a dumpster fire. I don't really think that's true. I, I, I really don't. Like, I, and I think it's better than that Wyoming performance. I think, I really do think that's the case. And anybody who's expecting like a real garbage, you know, uh, uh, for, for that to continue, I, 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 I think that's a mistake. Um, However, I also think a lot of times when teams have, you know, a one bad game kind of deal, it's because one thing just really goes wrong. And it's like, oh, don't don't sweat it, guys. We fixed that one bad thing. And so now, you know, everything's green. And the thing, you know, as I think that we've 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 talked about in this conversation, tell me if you, you disagree, like, I don't think it's one thing with Texas Tech. I think it's a lot of kind of modest size things and I have a hard time believing. And so it's like, like I don't, while I don't think that Texas tech's offense is as bad as what we saw against Wyoming, I at the same, and therefore I do believe that they will probably play better through the rest of the year. I also don't think, that they're going to be dramatically like crazy better because I don't think it's like, Oh, there's just one weird trick that they need to do, you know, to, to make a big jump. Because I think at every, you know, at every stage, there's like, there's a little something to complain about. Am I making sense to you, Macon? Yeah. So where I think of this is this, I, I said it before in a podcast we did the other day, um, which was, you can't really play as bad as you get, did against Wyoming. And the damnedest thing about the outcome of this game is twofold. Number one, and this this always sounds bitter to hear from somebody who lost, but it is reality. Wyoming sucks, right? Oh, like yeah. that's a bad football team. No, yeah, it was tough. it was really clear. In fact, the post game win expectancy, why like Texas Tech still should have won it. What, like Wyoming out tough tech. This were that's where the game was won, and the margins with both teams doing a lot of really bad stuff. Wyoming was just tougher down the yeah. stretch. That's that's what happened. But the reality is, is that the, Texas Tech will be tested at pretty much every step of the way by better competition. And the issue with the offense is multifaceted. Um, I have severe complaints about how, what we do schematically. I have complaints about what our quarterback is doing. I have complaints about what our offensive line is going to do. I've got complaints about uh, distribution of touches, about who plays when, about how we use tight ends. Even 
do I expect them to come out against Oregon with some of those issues fixed? If Zach Kitley is actually doing his job and he is self-scouting, he's going to look at what happened in the Wyoming games. He's going to recognize the routes that were most successful, target the middle of the field, the, route, the running plays that are most successful, sped up what we were doing with the running game. The, 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 uh, the most successful weapon we haven't touched yet, and the one Wyoming used to to devastate this team were the tight ends in the middle of the field. Let's get them involved. If he's doing those things, can Texas Tech come out and start living up to the promise we were sold on this offense? Absolutely. Can you fix every one of these problems in a week? Probably not, but if you fix half, Say you just fix the issue of Tyler Shuck's decision-making, the fact that he seems to float balls in when he's overthrowing, the the, the weird low release point problem yeah, that, that popped up with like five or six bad. Say you just take care of him and he plays well. All right. that You're, you're getting into the ball game now. Say you fix just the routes that you call to target where we think you can actually take advantage. You can put up a lot of points. This offense has the talent across the board to score in bunches, but it's fi- figuring out what of these issues is truly we can't fix it. You know, you're not going to fix X issue because it's just is how it is. Maybe maybe that's the offensive line, right? Like it is what it is. We can't really fix it. They're going to be what they're going to be. We have to work around it. Okay, accept that. Fix the other stuff and see what you get. And that's really in 2022 later in the year, what they did, they worked around what we couldn't do well and they worked with what we could and it worked great against Oklahoma and Ole Miss. And that's why I think everybody came in thinking, number one, the talent level is higher than it was last year. Number two, we expected to see Shucks development improve and on top of everybody else's. But number three, I think everybody, myself included, looked at how Kitley was calling games as the year went on and said, this is a guy who looks to be settling into this job. And what we got against Wyoming was the same guy who looked like he showed up without a clue how to be an offensive coordinator at this level. And if you do 50% improvement, you will be able to compete in this football game. But if you can't get to that 50%, this is going to get ugly in a hurry. If you trot out there the same product that's only marginally better, where you just kind of slapped a Band-Aid on some of your biggest problems, you're not going to score against Oregon at all. Like at all, they are a better defense top to bottom. You will not score. If you can fix these problems, if you can take advantage of what you do well, which there's plenty you can do well, then you'll be in this football game, at least from an offensive perspective, to some degree. It's just pick your battles, right? Like you can't fix it all. So fix what you can and move on. And and we pay Zach Kitley to do that. We trust Tyler Shuck to do that. We trust Joey McGuire to motivate his team and get them fired up and looking ahead. And we trust the staff to take a look inward and say, Here's what's working. Here's what's not. Let's fix what we can. The biggest jump in any football game uh, for any football team happens week one to week two. That's more or less an, uh, a kind of a cliche, but it is essentially what everybody's hoping for here for the offense, that this will be a revamped offense. And yeah, you're not going to see an offense that's suddenly unstoppable. But if you see what we saw in the first quarter, where I was at least clean and confident, all right, that's half the damn battle, and I'll take what I can get from the rest. Hey, podcast listener. Hey, Come you. over here. Come yeah. over here. Get over here. Yeah. Nice headphones you got in here. Oh, yeah, I like those, Chevy. Be a shame if something were to happen to those headphones, eh? <laughs> Stomped them on the ground, eh? Be real easy to avoid that smashing if you went over to the Quack12 Twitter account and gave us a little follow. Just a little follow, that's all we're asking. 
And hey, look at that. I hear you're listening to your new podcast apps in your car, huh? Driving home, making the long journey feel a little shorter, eh? Is that yeah. what he's doing there, bud? <laughs> yeah, turning your three-hour drive into a nice little vacation, huh? Be a shame if your car ended up on the bottom of a lake. Splash. Splash maybe with you in the trunk of it, huh? Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. Maybe all that can be avoided with a little trip to the quack. 12 page on Apple Podcasts. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts, Quack 12, give us five stars. Yeah, the internet, you got it, bud. Five stars. Leave us a little comment. Help other people find it. Maybe it'll help people find you when they find out that you're gone missing if you catch my drift. You seen the posters on the telephone poles? Yeah, those are those are people that didn't give us fucking five stars. Some of them did, and we did it anyways. And then uh, you know, uh, oh hey, hey look at look at this podcast listener on their long inner inner uh, continental flight, making things not so bad, not wanting to hear that baby by covering it up, wah wah, so they say, putting on them headphones. Trying to get the sky waitress's attention. Get over here. Give me more of that Quack 12 podcast. Yeah. 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 Why don't you? Yeah. You want some more of that Quack 12 podcast, don't you? Yeah. You want to buy some more from us, don't you? Get it. Otherwise, get it. you know, because if you don't buy this Quack 12 podcast insurance, you never know when your plane's going to go straight down into the water, into the old Atlantic, Flash. never to be seen again. Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. In case you don't want to be th- part of the rock and roller club of the bottom of the fucking ocean, then I recommend you go to the Quack 12 Patreon. Come on, come on. Why don't you go to the Quack 12 Patreon, give us five smackaroos, and for that we can forget about the whole nasty business have you on your way. We'll forget about it. We'll forget about it, all right? Five measly dollars. That's all I got. Now listen up, punk. Because it looks like you're not seeing so good right now. My boss is talking to you, chump. Aren't you, chump? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. All right, let him him go, Mikey. Let him go. In the bottom of the fucking ocean. Ayo! Quack, quack. Okay, let's switch over and talk about the defense. Well, like I said in the top, I I really thought this was a defense-led team uh, last year. Even though, like in in advanced stats, they they both the offense and the defense finished in about the mid 30s. It was really clear to me, um, doing film study, that like uh, it was really you know the the defense was making the offense look better than it was in my opinion. Like giving them good field field position, turning the ball over, um, and I thought the offense was sort of making the defense look a little worse than it was. You know, putting them in in some bad spots. You know, making them have to go right back on the field a lot. Um, did do you agree with that, Macon? Based on 2022, I think most people would agree. Um, I'm actually, I've looked at some of the advanced stats for Tech defensively. I, I 
don't know how all of them are calculated uh, for any number of reasons, but I was kind of surprised how the defense grades out being what it was. And I know why it happened. There were a couple of big shootouts that skew things. The Baylor game was a, was a fail. The defense was, that was the only game that season in which the defense came out with, without any semblance of a game plan to deal with what Baylor wanted to yeah. do. Otherwise, Tim DeRuiter's done a fantastic job with this defense. And if you want to roll that into 2023, you're playing at elevation against a tough Wyoming rounding attack. And really you did your job defensively, right? Like you give up 20 in regulation, despite giving up, what was it? Something like 60, 70% of time of possession at elevation with injuries. Jacob Rodriguez goes down and you're suddenly a lot thinner running at the, at the, uh, the linebacker group, the number one rusher for, Wyoming was the quarterback and all of his successful rushes came on plays where you just lost contain. I mean, yeah. they, they did. No, no, they're all, they're totally scrapped. I mean, there's one or two designed runs for the quarterback. And then, and then like in, in overtime, there were more of them, but like, it was almost all scrambles, like it, yeah, virtually like, all of it. You know, it, it, if you've been paying attention to tech football the last several years, the trend has been the defense has steadily gotten better. There's a lot of experience on this team. Um, the linebacker group is thin and getting thinner. They're very, I think they're talented, but that is the group that has the biggest number of question marks because of both now Jacob Rodriguez being down for a few weeks and just the overall lack of experience in that group. Yeah. Um, you know, even I think Josiah Pierre got banged up. I want to say, looking yeah, at I saw too that. Deep, that he's going to play i i'm sure somebody's talked a bit more i mean he about... came back after he got dinged up so I, I i never saw exactly what they said happened to him i know jacob rodriguez it's it's a it's a foot thing he's in a boot mm -hmm. um so he's going to be out for a couple of it was weeks. crazy because it happened on the play in which he not only stopped the the play but he forced the fumble and recovered the fumble and yeah what so my buddy, uh, some of my buddies from the podcast were deeply upset by the fact that the running back for Wyoming's reaction was to dive in late and roll his leg. And to some yeah. degree, I get it. It was a dirty hit. It just was. It was a dirty hit. It was late. There was no reason to do it. He overreacted to losing the ball and he went to hurt a guy. That's what yeah. happened. Um, and Wyoming fans no, may not want to hear that. I didn't talk about it on our Twitter account, but several of my guys did. That was very upsetting to watch. Uh, but yeah, they, I mean, just I like regardless of how it happened, just cosmically, it's not like getting hurt on a play in which you made a spectacular play is like, yeah, that's and, not cool universe. And the, the one good story coming out of that group is obviously Bryce Ramirez coming back. Um, Ramirez, of course, had a nasty yeah. Break oh man oh i saw that like uh, that i mean was, i watched was i was going like frame by frame because i was watching something else and then i realized i was watching his leg snap and i was like oh jesus we were uh you know i remember talking about that when it happened just like i couldn't watch it again um number one the guy worked his way up from a walk-on to do that yeah so to see that happen to him in that moment in his career was just awful um just just really 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 terrible so i it's, it's a great story to have him back in general and any capacity to watch him play football is fantastic the defensive line uh i had some issues with against wyoming but overall it's hard to complain about a defense that just got tired at elevation i mean that that yeah that's really what happened a lot in this game was wyoming just well, the offense the kept. I mean, like I said in 2022, I thought was what was happening again was like the offense, the the Texas Tech offense couldn't stay on the field, and you know the defense just kept having to go back again and again and again. So and what's, like, yeah, what's funny about that is the number one complaint I had about the Kingsbury era was as bad as those defenses were. Kingsbury continued to insist, like we're going to run it up a million miles per hour. 
we're going to take every deep shot we can, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so on, which left that defense vulnerable a bad. Those defenses were statistically, I think, two of the worst to ever be in the Power Five, um, 2015 and 2016. They were like graded out as first and la- last and second to last overall those years. They were just awful um, in every phase. But the, uh, the, the, other than Dakota Allen, weirdly enough, again, just kind of a funny coincidence how that played out. 2022 is a story of that happening as well, where the offense is just, and, and Wyoming's another example. We want to go really fast. And I, I love that for the offense when it's working and when you're in rhythm. But when you can, not sustain possessions when that gets bogged down and you're burning through your uh your your uh series by going you know uh shot 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 punt which we mm-hmm. have a bad habit of trying to do or running a little ineffective screen then hurrying up to the line of scrimmage the worst example of this for me for the defense is um uh, uh, the, 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 the worst example of this to me, the one I really don't understand is after Wyoming scored that touchdown in the, in the overtime that uh, on fourth and seven, the second overtime, the defense was completely out of sorts and clearly out of gas yeah. by, I like Joey McGuire and how he coaches. I can't figure out why there wasn't a timeout call to reset them. Give them a moment to breathe because they were not ready for that ball. And it showed because that was the, that was one of the most successful running plays Wyoming had managed on, with any of their running backs was just, he just wasn't touched. And that was- I think that showed just how wore down they got. And it was a problem in 2022 and it was a problem against Wyoming. And if it's a problem against Oregon, we're going to be in for a world of hurt. There's another there is a really interesting factor um, that uh, this is going to take me a little while to explain. I, I'm pretty familiar with Tim DeRuiter's defense um, because he was Oregon's coordinator and I did a ton of work. I actually wrote two different offseason articles um, about him. And then I, I wrote, you know, wrote up, you know, every game that he uh, coached, you know, for Oregon. Um, like I, I, I think his system is fascinating and his system has evolved pretty significantly. Um, and then when I turned on the Texas Tech film, I was like, oh, he's changed it again. I was actually pretty interested, um, you know, because for for like his entire career he'd been a uh, um like a, a three down with one olb guy and like it's different at texas tech he's you know pretty much always was uh, you know and maybe this is playing in the big big 12 but like it was you know two big defensive tackles and then two look uh, you know whether they're called you know field ends or olbs or whatever they're stand-up guys who can drop into coverage um right so um, but if you go, if the offense goes into a heavy configuration with multiple tight ends, then he'll go to a three, four. So we'll put, he'll pull the nickel off of the field and put in a third defense, you know, fist down defensive tackle. Um, uh, and, 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 and so it looks more like a bear. Um, and, uh, and, and so, but this is the thing that was, that was the pattern in, in 2022. Here was the thing that was weird about Wyoming, you know, because, and maybe this, and there's potentially multiple different explanations for this. I can actually think of three different explanations for why this might be. And, and the, this is they stopped doing that. Even when Wyoming went to heavy sets, Texas tech would stick to two down linemen. They would stick to their nickel configuration. And, and Wyoming had pretty good run numbers against them. Um, they, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, the, um, and, and I think, you know, there, there sort of, you know, that was part of the reason why. Um, and, and I think there's potential explanations, some of which may persist into the future, some of which may not. 
Um, so like one of the potential reasons is, hey, Wyoming was down for most of the game, right? Because like due to those turnovers at the very beginning of the game where Tech goes up like 17 to zero, like for most of the game, Wyoming is is behind. And so it's like Tech doesn't really believe that they're going to run the ball. You know, so they're in the, in the nickel, you know, configuration because they figure they're going to release both tight ends into the passing pattern and they need to be in the nickel in order to cover that. And guess what? They were right. Like, like Wyoming wasn't really, you know, you know, running um, until towards the end of the game when they were and that's when the run started to get out of hand so i don't know about that uh, another possible explanation however and this is where i want to ask you about personnel stuff is this so texas tech has two really good i mean really good interior defensive linemen jalen hutchings and uh, uh number 95 and tony bradford number 97 and both of those guys they were really good in 2022 they're like super seniors now um in 2023 they both come back like i i really have no questions about those guys they're really good uh, i've been talking for a while you, you with me still making yeah oh yeah okay great uh Here's the thing that's interesting, though. All the guys who were behind them and next to them, like Philip Bildy and or Blitty uh, and Vidal Scott and other guys, those guys left. And then other guys like Miles Cole, who used to be a defensive tackle, but now is an end, right, have like switched out of the room. So like it's all new guys who are the rotational dudes, right? So they brought in um, Quincy Ledette from ULM. Um, they switched over uh, Robert Wooten, who used to be an outside line linebacker um uh there's a a freshman from last year marion banks um who's who's now you know the backup so it's like all of the new all of the the rotational dudes at the interior defensive line behind hutchings and bradford are all new faces and like look man i don't think i'm really insulting them by saying they're not as good as hutchings and bradford because like who the hell is um but like I also don't think they're as good as Blitty and Scott. And so I think maybe they weren't rotating as much or not as willing to go to a three down front like they should have because of that issue. Now I'll stop making. What do you think about that? So I think it, it the number one, the, 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 the one of the part of the answer is the extreme confidence um, Tim DeRuiter and the staff has in Jalen Hutchins and Tony Bradford, right? Like you're going to ask those guys to do a lot defensively they just yeah they're gonna have their names called early and often for this defense staff success they are the two best interior defensive linemen in the conference they are the best duo collectively and it's not a shocker to say that what this team does defensively largely rides or dies with those two guys ability to control the point of attack against wyoming what i think part of this was was the honest belief that they could control the line of scrimmage and protect you on the back end. And I think that that's what they were trying to test. Um, it, it, I, I, I can't speak for Coach DeRuiter, but my sense of what happened was, was Tech came in expecting those guys to largely be protecting a lead, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, they expected them to win at the point of attack without needing a lot of additional help, which would allow you to put more guys in the secondary because as experienced as the secondary is, 
they're still not where necessarily they need to be. I think that was apparent in the film. If you watch it, Wyoming's quarterback missed as many guys as were open oh, yeah. as tech DBs. He was plays. not really performing well. And no, it's like, he, it's hard for me to do film study articles in which I put clips in about it. Cause like, what am I supposed to do? Like, Hey, look at this bad throw that the opposing quarterback made. If only, you know, this defense were facing a better quarterback, then things would be different. You know, like, what yeah, kind of article is that? You know, <laughs> I, I like this secondary. It is the best secondary in a few years. They continue to get better year after year. That is a group that has been under renovation for, mm -hmm. God, 10 years. I mean, they it, it is taking a long time to fix this. And Tim DeRuiter is making strides, but they lost a guy in Reggie Pearson, which I think hurt their progress. Yeah, um, overall, the, the secondary is getting better, but I think the thought process, and this is as, as well – as mad as I am about the offense after the first quarter, as I and as happy as I am about the defense, I think both did the same thing from a perspective of both of them assumed we can just stand up Wyoming. To a large degree, I think everything we did screamed to staff that looked at the looked at what was coming at us and said, okay, the best way for the we can win this matchup in the trenches with without overselling it, which is why what what's weird to me. Throughout the course of this game, I think Tech only records one sack. They missed several others yeah. that they had him dead to rights. But well, they they brought a lot of pressure from depth, and they that that's something Tim DeRuiter has yeah. liked to do a lot. He really yes. likes to bring pressure. Oh, to help I wrote, guys out. oh man, I wrote a very long article about Tim DeRuiter's blitz patterns. Yes, you don't got to tell me, man. Yeah, I went. He, and, I got VHS transfers from the library about it. Yeah, he uh, he that, that that's what he wants to do. And again, I and part of this, it is the other half of the answer is the, the uncertainty about who's going to rotate in and take on the role when these guys step out or when you need somebody else to put their hand down with them. Yeah, um, man, that's what I want to ask you about. Like, do you think that this like not just Hutchings and Bradford, but the entire interior defensive line unit, do you think that this unit is as good as it was last year? The staff has given, I mean, it's hard to say after one game what they're actually going to do long term. The short answer is this was a point of contention in the offseason with the defensive line, not just the interior. Joey McGuire made a comment at media days about how he thinks this defensive line is better than last year's. Obviously, that caused some rumbles because Tyree Wilson is the Yeah, I know. I wanted to like, I want to bracket Tyree Wilson. Yeah, and, that's that. that I, I want to just talk about the interior guys. Like, is losing Blitty and Scott and having Cole switch over to the outside versus getting guys like Amarian Banks and Quincy Ledette and yeah. the freshman Amari Washington or Amir. Yeah, Washington. that's I, I'm following you. What I'm saying is that the staff has told us that they think this these guys are good enough to fill in the role. Based on one game, I have concerns because my issue is is that I know how good Hutchinson Bradford are, and I know what Wyoming wanted to do. And we talked about it in a lot in our previews, and the entire discussion in our previews was we had that the, this defensive group in the interior should be enough to control the point of attack and get push and, and keep Wyoming doing things they don't want to do, which is try to attack the edge where tech has more speed and more size. And they, they, if we control the middle, we don't think they can do that. Now the game showed some interesting things with the quarterback breaking contain multiple yeah. times, which is a massive red flag, but I think it hurts you not to have the experience. Do I think long-term these guys can't, fill in the role to the same degree it's hard to say i do think that 
you are putting in an ordinate amount on the shoulders of two admittedly fantastic players. They totally and are. I think that this that again, I think a lot of it just speaks to how confident the staff are in those guys, where they think they are good enough to just stand up the offensive line and 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 allow tech to protect what is a weakness of this team still, which is the back end. But do I think it hurts them not to have some of these guys with experience that they can rotate in and out? It has to. I, I don't know to what degree, game plan-wise, if that really impacted why Tim DeRuiter elected not to try to match up a bit differently with what Wyoming was doing. I expected him to really focus on a different... I expected him to do the opposite. I thought he was going to say, we can, We know this Wyoming quarterback can't beat us long. Let's put everything we can up front. Yep. Let's put our hands in the ground. Let's go after him. Yep. I, I don't know if he elected not to do that because he is supremely confident. I don't know if it's a depth question. I don't know if he just thinks simply uh, uh, the secondary for Texas Tech loves to come down and hit. That is their best quality. They sure do. They, these are guys who really, really enjoy coming down. I definitely down think run. that they're better at that than they are in covering. Uh, yeah, and I think some of it may be him saying, like, they're most effective coming from depth to fill in for our, our, our rush defense. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Do I necessarily buy that he changed – a, a pretty historically demonstrated trend based on depth this year? Probably not. I, I think a lot of it speaks to just what he thinks about the guys he's got in the middle of his defense right now. And the other part of it is I think he thinks he needs more linebackers on the field. I think he needs, I think he's worried about what that group is doing. I think yeah. he's worried about some of the lack of experience there. And he wants a lot of guys roaming back there to find the gaps that are being created by an experience of that group. I think it's a summation of a lot of things. Yeah, and, man. We're uh, saying that a lot, huh? You're speaking to like the lack of experience just in the interior, but there is lack of experience in that linebacker group as well. I mean, that is a largely yeah. new unit that is entirely turned over. And I think that, and with some injury problems. Yeah, and now with injuries, they're thinner. I think there's a tremendous amount of talent at the start, but it is the problem with Texas Tech defensively and has been for years, and it showed up against Wyoming. The depth is an issue. Do I do I think all of these things factor into how Tim DeRuiter saw it? Yeah. I, 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 think, I think he's too experienced to have looked at what Wyoming was doing and saying, we don't have to match up power to power if he thought that they could. But I think any number of things coalesced where he said, the best way we can attack what Wyoming's doing is to allow those two guys to eat in the middle and ha- protect our back end as much as we can so that Wyoming can't get back into this game with shot plays. And by the way, it took Wyoming a very long time to crawl their way back into this game. Oh, I mean, yeah. This is but a I, long... Look, man, like, I don't really think it's about the loss to Wyoming. Like, I think they could have beaten Wyoming, and I still would have been asking you exactly... Oh, I, I agree. I'm just saying you know? that I think I think strategy-wise... Um, what Tim DeRuiter saw was a a a team he thought he could exploit a because I I think he looked at the Wyoming offensive line which had some experience I I don't remember the guy's name there's one guy on that team something like seventy starts just something absurd on mm. their depth chart I I I think the largest answer I can give you is well I do think that they are concerned a bit about the experience and the. the the, the depth in the interior, I think the largest thing you can say is they are extremely confident that Tony Bradford and Jalen Hutchins can do special things, and that allows them to cover other positional deficits. This is a good defense. I mean, it is not I a great defense. I, I 100% agree with that, that, that that's what they're banking on. Like that, that's, I mean, I, I think that those are their best, definitely their best players uh, defensively. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think they really are asking those two guys to allow them to try to help out position groups that are just. Yeah. Not as far along. And I, I, I think 
maybe some of that is related to the depth behind those two guys, but a lot of it just is you got two special players. You're going to have to ask them to make plays. You mentioned um, on a lot of those scramble plays, you know, sort of breaking lane discipline and allowing the quarterback to scramble free. I noticed a lot of that in 2022 where it's like, look, man, that, you know, they were flushing the quarterback, but then he's escaping through the back door. Um, I, I, I noticed that a lot. Um, and, and I sort of wasn't surprised to see it against Wyoming, you know, like where there's sort of a shut the back door problem. Um, and, and that's just sort of in, in, in past defense. Um, it, the other thing that I know sort of in rush defense, boy, there are some crazy splits where if you, if the offensive line, the opposing offensive line tries to just move Hutchings and Bradford um, or last year, some of these backups like uh, Blitty in particular is really just unmovable too. Uh, if they tried to like push them back, like forget it, man, it's like trying to push a mountain. But if they got to their side and like try to wash them down, like, yeah, you could do that because those guys, they'll kind of run themselves out of the play. And, and where I see a connection between those two things, the the shut the back door problem on scrambles and the run themselves out of the play in rush defense is I kind of think this line is a little too aggressive for its own good and that that's a way that they can be beaten. Um, yeah, is I, is I, that something that you've noticed, too? Or do you think I'm crazy for saying that, Macon? No. So I think though how I like to think about it or how I like to try to explain this is that Jalen Hudson and Tony Bradford are not your typical defensive tackles and how they think. Um, technically, Jalen Hutchinson knows, but there's not really that much of a distinction. I know, yeah. They are very big bodies. They are very big bodies. They're 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 tough. They move very well for their size, and, they, and they're they they they're they do everything well at the defensive tackle. What I mean is, and I think what you're getting at, these are guys who hunt sacks a lot more than interior linemen do in a lot of college yeah. football. There are some pros who do this. There's some some of the truly generational talents. Um, Aaron Donald, an example of this, is a big guy in the middle who really can hunt sacks because he's just better than the offensive guards he's up against Jalen Brad uh, Jalen Hutchins and Tony Bradford think the same way which is when there is a pass play or any run play their instinct is to get into the backfield and they are hunting the quarterback they are not yeah. trying to do what you typically think of in the middle is okay we're gonna blow we're gonna blow the guard in the center back into his pocket and force yeah. him to where we think our edges are gonna come get him yeah. No, these guys want to make that play themselves, and they did it well last year. The issue with that is, and it's something that is a gripe with maybe how Tim DeRuiter uses how Tim DeRuiter uses his blitz packages. There's never anybody home if this doesn't yeah. work. And yeah, exactly, is, man. It is an issue where I love Tim DeRuiter being aggressive. I love that we're we're accepting that we have to be more aggressive than maybe some better uh, depth defenses have to be. You know, if you've got two line deep of true starters you can do some things that are a little more conservative i love that tim deruder's accepted hey i can't do that here i have to go for broke but there are countless examples from 2022 that were countless examples against wyoming where it's apparent if those guys are really not concerned in the middle with doing anything other than getting to quarterback and the edges are only concerned about getting home to the quarterback so there's nobody concerned about yeah. thinking what there's going to be lanes behind open. us yeah and, and that, that shows up at the ground game, too, because they tend to watch. They tend to be very susceptible. And I think I don't remember the exact play, but there's one where Wyoming did run the read option, I believe, for a touchdown where it happened. Yep. They, the defense is very susceptible yeah, to be That one's going to be in my article, man. <laughs> like the I quarterback know the and, yep. and biting on fakes. They tend to be very 
susceptible to it because the whole defense plays with the same mindset. They play yeah. with the idea, we got to get him on the ground. We have to get him on the ground. And part of that's because a few years ago, when one of the reasons Matt Wells was ultimately let go and um, Keith Patterson was the defensive coordinator at the time, drew the ire of fans, is a few years ago, your defensive lines were so bad, we couldn't sack anybody. So that staff was kind of brought in with a bit of a mandate where, hey, we, we got to do better. And that mindset of how do you force turnovers? You put the quarterback in pressure. Joey yeah. McGuire's take three university, right? Like that's his thing. So the whole mindset is is an over aggression. I think it's necessary. I don't think we can be passive, but you pay for it. And we paid for it against Wyoming. And when you lose contain or I, I, I haven't figured out, I haven't watched the play enough to figure out exactly who busted on the two point, uh, not the two point conversion, the fourth and seven, but that's a prime example, right? You have it's a the nickel actually. Yeah. And the guy just, nobody's inside. That mm -hmm. happens a lot to this defense and it happened a lot that night and it happened a lot in 2022 where you if you cannot get the quarterback dead to rights if taylor if tony bradford's got his head down or jalen hutchins got their head down and now uh tyree wilson's gone but they're really high on steve linton um if these guys are got their head down pass rushing, interesting they there there's a lot of conversation about okay who the hell's watching for what's happening yeah first down i sort of the answer is nobody and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is alarming how often – and that's what – like I said, right? Like Wyoming demonstrated what we needed to do offensively because Wyoming saw what was happening and said, we can't protect this kid. He was getting the shit beat out of him. But what we can do is outlet guys into the middle and say, they're not paying attention. If they can't get home, we can get the ball fast enough. They're not going to notice it. They're not – they just aren't – that's not a priority. And the reality is I think Tim DeRuiter, who is a fantastic defensive coordinator and very experienced, will dial it back. I was surprised at how aggressive he was in this game. He was – like, the, blitzing was their answer. Like, yeah, and I – They I were – instead of instead of putting on a third defensive tackle, and that's – hence my questions about do they have a third defensive tackle, what they were doing was uh, staying in, in the nickel configuration and blitzing. Blitz, think, blitz, blitz. Through the entire second half and, and over time, it was blitzing. I thought I thought the only thing I could think was they were hoping to confuse Wyoming's quarterback, and they brought a because I really thought we were going to see a very bland defensive called game. Yeah. And instead, they by the end of that game, every exotic blitz package Tech has was on yeah. display. I don't. I mean, they were running twists, stunts, everything yeah. they could throw at that mm -hmm. kid in an effort to take him out of the game. And I'm not necessarily certain that was the way to respond to it. It worked reasonably well. I think fatigue played the biggest factor in the outcome um, for the defense, you know, the breakdowns late in the game, I think really fatigue was the story, but did, do, do I love the fact that we, we just decided against a quarterback like Bo Nix coming in to abandon the concept of some sort of traditional spy or something a little bit more passive to try to keep people in front of us. You can't have it both ways. And I think tech fans have accepted that we're just going to be aggressive. Is it the best way to play it? couldn't really tell you it's been mixed results at times but i think from a fan base perspective they want they would rather get beat because we're trying to get home rather than what was happening in and some of the, the 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 later matt wells years where you just couldn't touch the quarterback you could not touch the quarterback because we refused to bring any pressure at all and as a result the secondary got picked apart 
Bo Nix is a good enough quarterback to hurt us both ways. It will be interesting how Tim DeRuiter decides to yeah, deal I, with that fact. I am really curious to, to see how I what you know what poison he picks. I need to ask you a bunch of factual, not necessarily opinion questions about the edges because there's been a lot of changes here, mm-hmm. um, like jersey numbers, different guys moving in and out of the unit. Um, so let me see if I can run through them here. I sort of no particular order. Joseph Adadire, who last year wore jersey number 43, is now wearing jersey number 14. He was playing last week. Uh, he was like a, a backup last year, um, but like high in the rotation. Um, and I saw him playing against Wyoming. I got that right? Yes. Okay. Uh, he, he He's... He's he's just kind of a rotational guy. He's a talented yeah. player, but that you're not that he he has a similar role to what he did last year. I will say I think it's funny that a lot of the defensive uh, uh, roster has shrunk their jersey number. I don't know what that is. Mm. I don't get it. I'd rather them go the other way. I guess that's a trend though on the defensive side of the ball. So another one who shrunk his jersey number, um, Isaac Smith, who was like a kiddo last year. He started out last year play, wearing jersey number four, 59, but then in the middle of the year, he switched to jersey number 17. Um, he uh, appears to be out uh, for some extended period of time with an injury. Yeah, I wanted to say I saw an update on him the other day. I can find it real quick. Uh, so there were questions about his availability. Actually, I remember this happening. It broke game time that he did not make the trip to Wyoming. Yeah. It was not apparent why. Um, McGuire hmm. said, I think after the fact that he had banged up his knee and that okay. he had been playing with a partially torn ACL for like two and a half years, but that ah. didn't break until he just wasn't there. And then obviously with Rodriguez hurt and all that, they're going through the injury report. Somebody asked like, Hey, we had heard he might be limited available, but what happened, he apparently has been playing hurt for a very long time. Um, I don't know if we'll continue to see what the longevity on that is, what they actually have to do to get that sorted. I believe he'll be out against Oregon based okay. on what I know. Miles Cole, um, who uh, was another transfer from ULM. I, I think they have two transfers from ULM. Um, and confusingly, uh, he was wearing jersey number five last year as a defensive tackle. They now have another guy who was a defensive tackle from ULM who's now wearing number five. But that guy's name is Quincy Ledette. We've already talked about him. Cole is now, he's sort of a, a like a, a more slender build, though. And so it totally made sense that he got moved moved to the outside and he changed his jersey number up one he's now wearing jersey number six and he's a starter on the end correct yeah they they moved uh cole outside i think the biggest reason was is that with tyree wilson vacating kind of the right. true red rusher position they think that having a little experience miles cole slimmed down a bit in terms of frame yeah. um he seemed all, all by all accounts they're extremely excited about that move i think long term it's where he'll be um he moves well and i think they want they want to boost the pass rush on the edge and again you're just so confident in what's going on in the middle um, that moving him to the outside, helping out your outside edge rush, which is a bit of an, a question mark yeah, coming no. into this year, was what they wanted to, to fix the most. I, I get it. I'm, I'm just trying to get the, the facts yeah, straight. Yeah. Like, like they, they all they, change their jersey numbers, and multiple guys change positions. So I was like, I want to make sure I get this all yeah. straight, so that I, I'm not telling lies in my article. Okay, Bryce Ramirez, who uh, we talked about. He's the guy who I think broke his leg in like week two. It really sucked. Um, he uh, was wearing, well, last year was wearing jersey number 54. 
four. He is now in Jersey number three. He is back. Um, he is still on the edge, uh, but he's like a, a backup. I think I was seeing him play in like the second line of the rotation. Is that correct? Yeah, in fact, I thought, uh, actually leading into the game, I thought we'd see a bit more of him. The jersey change for him yeah. is due to a program tradition that the, the number three is an important number for Texas Tech. Oh, um, it was given to Bryce Ramirez in the offseason re uh, related to his injury and his comeback. So that's why he he's the only one who made the change for any other reason other than coaching staff preference or personal player staff preference. That was a award given to him to wear that jersey. Um. Uh, Steve Linton, you mentioned already, he was the transfer in who came from Syracuse. Um, he, uh, 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 played 11 games last year for Syracuse. He had, uh, you know, six tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. Um, he, uh, is wearing Jersey number seven. Now he was a starter. Um, basically he was playing on the field side where Tyree Wilson was last year. Um, I've got that right. Yeah, he was brought in specifically because the thought was Syracuse wasn't using him correctly mm -hmm. and that in this system, in that spot, he can replace Tyree Wilson to a degree. Uh, we didn't really see a lot of him and, and, and against Wyoming in terms of effect on the field. He didn't yeah. play poorly. He just he didn't make the grand kind of step out. You kind of yeah. want to see from him. But that long term, he's that's what they want him to be. I mean, we saw him on the field a lot, but like, I, you know, I, I don't. I just he, don't think he, he was wasn't as productive Tyree as Tyree Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, okay. So the other departure, quote unquote, from this room is Josiah Pierre, uh, who wears jersey number eight. He continues to wear jersey number eight. He was um, an outside linebacker on the other side from Tyree Wilson. He played on the boundary side, but he got converted to an inside linebacker um, and is the starter, starting inside linebacker uh, this year. I've got that correct. Yeah, but there's just been a shuffle at that position. Um, right. with Rodriguez going down. Uh, uh, there's been well, a there's lot no of... reason why Pierre is going to lose his job, is there? No, it's just more a question of like, does somebody, does he need to? Right now, Ben Robertson is stepping in to take that role. Or ben Roberts, excuse me, is taking in the, stepping in to take that role. But I wouldn't be shocked. Oh, they're they're switching boundary and field side in the the inside linebacker. Yeah, so the, I wouldn't be shocked to see a lot more of an uncertainty at that linebacker position based on. Uh, I, I expect that group to rotate a tremendous amount. And I, I wouldn't feel confident telling you that any of those guys who are the traditional inside linebackers do what they traditionally do. Right. Because they're that, you know, what is Roberts best at versus what is Josiah Pierre best at? I, I think the staff is still going to be trying to sort that out. I, I was OK. So setting the table briefly, we already mentioned this at the very top, but I'll repeat it. They had two starting inside linebackers last year who I thought were really, really good. Uh, number one, Krishan Merriweather and number six, Kosey Eldridge. Um, really, really like those guys. Um, I, I don't think they're in the NFL, which is criminal because like, I think they're NFL caliber guys. Anyway, they're gone now. Um, they're the primary backups to those guys last year were Jacob Rodriguez and Tyreek Matthews, number 10 and number 32. Actually, uh, uh, Rodriguez was wearing Jersey number 13 last year, but now he's in Jersey number 10. Um, uh, I was surprised that, uh, you know, given that Rodriguez and Matthews had all that experience, I figured, you know, those guys are going to be the new starters in 2023. So I was surprised that Pierre left the outside linebacker room and entered this room, especially because kind of like what you were just saying about the staff might be shuffling around trying to figure out who's good at what. I thought that Pierre was 
very good as a pass rusher, like especially in towards the towards the end of the year when Wilson got injured. I mean, they didn't play in the same position, but like I, I thought the Pierre was really, really effective as a pass rusher. And I thought that um, when he dropped out into pass coverage, he was not very effective in pass coverage and putting him in the inside linebacker spot, I thought was a mistake. Do you think I'm crazy for thinking that? So. I think the simplest answer is that Josiah Pierre is an, a, a really good football player. And I think the staff wanted him on the field. And I think that uh, when you look at the linebacker configuration on the inside, I think that they like, um, I think, you know, if we're, we're talking about why does Miles Cole end up kind of on the edge, I think it's because they wanted to put a little bit, uh, a, a backer who moves a little bit better mm. and, and the inside. Do I necessarily agree with the move? I think it's too early to tell. I, I I think Josiah Pierre was going to be on the field in some capacity. I think he was playing great football, uh, both in relief of Tyree Wilson. Just overall, I think he is a great football player. And I don't know if he can get in the into some NFL conversation, but he is very talented. He he is a great linebacker. I not necessarily sold on the move yet. I think we have okay. to see more how this plays out. I think really they're building so much around Steve Linton that we really have to see what happens with Linton before I can assess, are we best utilizing our talent by saying uh, Josiah Pierre needs to be inside? Because I think part of why this move is made is because the staff got Linton. And by the way, this feedback isn't just internal. This is coming from NFL scouts too, who have looked at Linton's tape, who are saying the same things all off season, all year since he arrived was that this kid could be something truly game breaking. I think with that going on, I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing is uh, those guys are, you know, Josiah Pierre's most effective period was after Tyree Wilson went down. If Steve Linton was going to hold him off the field, I understand, I understand the staff saying, let's find a role for him inside. Let's spend the offseason converting him over. Let's get him ready. But could I, could I speak confidently that that was the best move? In fact, I don't remember when the conversation happened to make that change, but there are a lot of talk leading into the year talking about the fact that they really want him to be um, a guy coming off the edge you know, I think that even went into spring that that conversation mm -hmm. was still ongoing. We'll see. Long term, we'll see. I, I think if Steve Linton is the kind of game breaking edge rusher he's been billed to see, we're not going to hear as much about this. But if there are issues getting pressure off the edge, one of the conversations that will be had is, was this the right move? Should we have tried to put somebody with a bit more experience in the Red Raider defense to try to to try to make up for the lost production? Uh, but he's a good player. I'm fine with him being on the field. Am I surprised by the move? Absolutely. Am I mad that a good football player is on the field? No. And we'll see if this is long-term where he ends up. I could easily yeah. see them as these groups get thinner, you know, with Jacob Rodriguez going down, if they say, all right, we're, we are going to go ahead and put Tyreek Matthews. I mean, they don't have, a, they don't have a choice now. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, they, they might've had a choice that they took a dude out of the portal. Like, I yeah. think that was actually really the mistake is not taking a portal inside linebacker, but it, like it's water under the bridge now. But so anyway, here's the situation where they're in They they did move Pierre to inside linebacker. And so rather than the, the two backups from last year, Rodriguez and Matthews being the starters in Instead, it was Pierre and Rodriguez. But like we were talking about, Karma was not uh, did not do Jacob Rodriguez a solid, and he got injured on that awesome fumble play, and he's out for a couple of weeks. So they they don't have a choice. Pierre's going to continue being an inside linebacker, whether he ought to be or not. Here's the thing that's interesting: um, Matthews, who 
like I said, was the backup last year in the Wyoming game who was, you know, number 32. He was the guy who was getting all the snaps. He was the guy who replaced Rodriguez when Rodriguez went down. And yet everything that I've said, seen in the media has indicated that it's not going to be Matthews who plays, who's the starter against Oregon in Rodriguez absence. And, and you just said it too. It's going to be the redshirt freshman, Ben Roberts, um, who wore Jersey number 46 last year. Um, and, and wears Jersey number 13. Now, um, I saw him on one play last year and I saw him in one play against Wyoming. Meanwhile, I saw Tyreek Matthews like a million times. I'm having a hard time believing that. Like, what's this about Ben Roberts? So this is kind of a weird situation. Number one, this is another one where if it works, they're going to look like like geniuses um that it is really that this is one of those decisions where like it i can't necessarily tell you i agree with this um but what i can tell you is that the staff thought roberts had a really good spring had a really good uh uh camp through summer and they think that uh uh he he did have a little bit of an injury i think during the camp that held him Mm -hmm. back a bit um i think they like how he moves. I think they like the fact that I mean, he's he four inches tall. I mean, like yeah, his frame is much more appropriate. Like I and, definitely and the understand size of it, that. I think is ultimately where this boiled down on top of everything we've been doing or everything else that's been said. Co- coaches are, this is a bad phrase, but they're whores for size. It, they'll mm. go over <laughs> look some things Jesus. in favor of, of a couple of more inches. Tim Deruder size queen. Okay. Yeah. They're uh, the, it, it, it's just, I, at all levels of football, every coaching staff, the prototypical size is something they do look at. Um, I think Tyreek Matthews will see plenty of snaps. I'm not necessarily concerned about the snap distribution. I don't think this signals that, you know, Tyreek Matthews isn't going to touch the field. I think this signals that they're really confident about a young kid. He's going to start, but it's going to be a situation where I could see them rotating. Well, why wasn't he playing a bunch in the Wyoming game? When Rodriguez went down there, he was banged up a bit in fall camp. And I think that just set him back a little. Uh, and then in any situation where so, you so got, got healthy this week, uh, not this week, but it's a situation where you're a little bit behind the eight ball and you've lost a starter. So you're, you're just going to lean on experience. Okay. You got a week now to reset the deck. So now you can go with the guy you want to go with. And I think they like, the potential Roberts represents. They like his size. They like how he sure. moves. I think. I mean, I definitely people. understand that. I, I just don't. Why I, I don't. Go, I don't understand it, what's different about this sat this coming Saturday versus it, last. I, Saturday. I think it boils down to in any sudden change situation, coaching staffs like to lean on guys of experience, and it okay. is just reality. Tyreek Matthews is a guy that you can say, "Hey, we're in scramble mode. We need you to play. We need you All to right. play right now. We need you to do your job." Maybe he's not the best guy for the role, but you're not going to have to spend time because here's the thing: Texas Tech had enough problems on this night with typical week one bullshit yeah, of just yeah, getting yeah. lined up and getting guys the greet there were plenty of plays with communication wasn't there especially after rodriguez went down and you're trying to break matthews back in and there's a lot of moving pieces and they were rotating guys like crazy throughout this game oh yeah so well, i think i think it's a lot more a, defensive rotation in, in this game than all of 2022 yeah they they were really trying to get to, to see this defense as for what it is i think it boiled down to just what do you do when you lose a guy who's you were expecting to, to, to be your guy, Jacob Rodriguez, your starter. What do you do when you've been preparing for him to be in with the interior with Pierre all, all off season? Well, you lean on the guy with the most snaps at the position otherwise. Yeah. Oh, and I, I think, 
I'm not saying I agree to go to Roberts here, by the way. You know, we're going to find out if Tim DeRuiter's crazy or not, depending mm. on what happens in this game. I mean, that dude needs inside linebacker. I definitely tell you from watching, you know, all of his previous film, uh, his time at Oregon, his time at Cal. Like, I, I've written so much about Tim DeRuiter. I mean, like, other than his wife, I know more about Tim DeRuiter than anybody else on earth. Like, yeah, man. That dude needs inside linebackers. Um, I, I think, you know, we're going to, this is going to be one of the, again, I'll say like the, it's, it's the easiest thing to say as a, any kind of guy who's just talking about the game, you're going to either look really, really good. or you are going to look really, really dumb? But the reality is I think more or less what you're going to see is a situation where they could be switching damn near every series. And that, that is something that can happen unless Roberts comes in and just really asserts himself from the jump. But because of the lack of depth that this team anyways has at the linebacker group, I imagine he'll be spelling in and out to try to keep somebody fresh okay. because this rotation gets really thin without Rodriguez. It gets really, that's thin. why I said, yeah, like the questions about whether Pierre should or should not be an inside linebacker academic, they don't have a choice. Okay. Yeah. Nickelback. Um, the, which is sort of in many ways, like a third linebacker, like um, in, in many ways, like that, that dude was, I mean, not in many ways, literally this dude was rushing the quarterback more than the inside linebackers were like, it's almost better to think about this guy more like a linebacker than a defensive back. Um, last year, uh, it was Marcus Waters um, from Duke. Um, uh, he played and he got, uh, I think he wound up with the Jets, um, right? Uh, I haven't kept up as much as I would like to with the guys, but I, I believe that Marcus Waters played every single NFL. snap. I, I don't think he took a single snap off. I, I don't think he had a backup behind him at all. Um, I think he was the most, other than, uh, you know, we, we talked about Tyree Wilson. Obviously, he got drafted in the first round. We talked about Hutchings and, and uh, uh, you know, number 95 and number 97, the two, uh, Hutchings and Bradford, the, the defensive tackles. Um, having mentioned those guys, Marcus Waters is the most important defensive player for this team in the sense of like Tim DeRuiter's defense rotates around, like he's the pivot point of this defense. If you know what I mean, he's like the tent pole. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I thought that was, it's like very, the people who, who I've read so far, who's tried to like break down defensive changes to Texas tech, I think have really undercovered the significance of water's departure. So in the Wyoming game, uh, I saw two different guys, both of whom, um, were, uh, uh new, uh, uh, players. Um, I saw, um, uh, a true freshman, uh, Brendan Jordan. Um, uh, who wear, wears jersey number 27. And I saw a transfer um, from San Diego State, CJ Baskerville, um, um, uh, who wears jersey number nine, which is confusing because that's the number that Waters w wore last year. Um, do I have that right? Yes. Um, Baskerville didn't start in this game. That right. actually broke like right before the game that he wasn't going to start. Uh, but yeah, that those two guys are going to run that position pretty much all year. Are you expecting that Baskerville is going to become the starter? Like, I thought I read something about like, oh, there was just a minor injury thing. And that's why. Yeah, or he was a little dinged up. Um, I think most people thought he was going to be the starter. Like I said, the news came out that he wasn't starting kind of the day of. Uh, mm -hmm. I think Brendan Jordan is a guy that is extremely talented, but he's, he's very, a four star. Yeah, yeah he's, he, he's one of the highest touted recruits coming out of that group. Um, he is very, very good, but I think long-term CJ is going to be your guy just 
because I mean, you're going to see both of them. You know, I, th- I I think that they will want to continue to highlight the fact that Brendan Jordan's a damn good football player. And the more reps he gets now, the less problem you're going to have later on in his career. But I, I think that you're the, you're the position's so important to what they want to do. Yeah. It means something to have a junior in that role instead of a true freshman. That that it mm-hmm. means something for communication. It means something for how the defense reacts. It speaks to the confidence of the defense when Baskerville's out there versus Jordan. I know, man. I, I sort of think that there's there's a bit of a Hobson's choice going on there because like I, I do think that Brennan Jordan is a higher ceilinged athlete than Baskerville is, but there's also an experience gap, you know, because like Baskerville was the starting, you know, boundary safety for the Aztecs, I think for the last three years. Yes. Um, uh, and for, for, for the reference to just to speak into language, you'll hear this talked about during the broadcast. Um, to now calls that spot, the star. Uh, uh-huh. So Baskerville will in the two depth deep that's been released for this week. Baskerville is listed as the sa- as starter. I think he actually was for Wyoming as well. I'd have to go mm. back and look. I mean, he wasn't the guy who played the first no, snap. It, so, yeah. Brendan Jordan started the game that that came out as of uh, that was a little related to the fact Baskerville was banged up by all accounts. It didn't really affect much of his. I think it was a situation where he, if, Really, if it hadn't been Wyoming, they probably would have started Baskerville. I think it's the simple answer. I think they probably would have said, strap it in, kid, if this was Oregon week one. Um, But they trusted that against a lower-tier offensive competition. You could break any younger player with more reps uh, with less difficulty. Granted, I think he played well. So I I think there were issues, of course, that happened. There were some busts. That's why Baskerville will ultimately be the guy long-term for this year. Uh, not long term. This year's outlet yeah. against Oregon. If Baskerville doesn't play, it'll be related to injury. Uh, okay. If he's not the starter, do you know what the injury is? I was looking for it, and I knew I had this save somewhere. I don't think it was something significant. I want to say it was something maybe related to his knee, but I I can't find it now. Mm. It happened pretty late in camp. It was never that big of a deal. Uh, We got injury reports floating around about it for a bit, but I I think it was one of those situations again, where if you really had thought from the jump of that game, you were going to be in issues, you probably would have started him just to send a message anyways. Um, But yeah, he, he, if he doesn't start against Oregon, it's because something's flared up again, or he had a setback in this week's practice, which I, uh, as of the latest press conference, have not seen anything about that would it would make me believe he's not going to see the starting spot in the majority of those minutes. Okay, the strong safety Reggie Pearson, number two, uh, transferred out. Um, they, uh, but the free safety from last year, uh, Adrian Taylor or uh, Demerson, um, uh, returns. Just he's changed his jersey number. He wore number twenty five last year and is now wearing jersey number one. Do I have that correct? Yes. Uh, they have replaced a Pearson with number 18, uh, Tyler Owens. Owens, I saw um, quite a bit last year because um, whenever either um, uh, Taylor Demerson or Pearson um, were out, you know, for minor injury or whatever, he was the guy who would come in and replace them, you know, spell them. Or when they would go to their dime package, Owens would come in as part of their dime package. Um the thing that was interesting to me was that I never saw um, uh, against Wyoming. Um, I never saw them go to their dime package. I think because they ran out of safeties. Like, did they? Do they not have a dime package anymore? What What do you think, Macon? I think you'll see it. I I you know it's it really it's really really hard to say 
what was planned for Wyoming versus what was related to depth. I can tell you that they're very confident in the starters. Um, I can I, I I know for a fact the staff and the fan base loves these guys. Um, Taylor Demerson in particular probably is the guy that most fans know the best. Um, he's a very hard-hitting member of the secondary. Well, I think you said it best. Is he maybe perhaps a little bit better at coming downhill to stop the run than he is in coverage? Probably, but they, th- this is a good group. This is the best group that's been there in a long time. Losing Reggie Pearson hurt. There's no doubt about that. Losing Reggie mm-hmm. Pearson was a blow that would have really solidified the secondary as being a tight unit. Um, do I do it, it, it's just Wyoming runs such an offense that Texas Tech yeah. won't see anymore. I, I can't speak to long term. Like, could they roll out a dime against Oregon? Yeah. Right. Like you could see all kinds of would it be? Would they put both of the nickels on the field at the same time? Do you think Basterville and Jordan? I probably I really couldn't tell you what they would do in that situation, because the names that you've got left at safety, you got two true freshmen and then Joseph Plunk. Um, Those are the guys listed. Yeah, I know, man. Like, I don't think they don't I they didn't they didn't return any other scholarship safeties besides Taylor Demerson and Owens. Do it. They probably would find a way to put Brendan Jordan on the field because they think he's versatile. I mean, that's the only solution that I can think of because, like, they all left. Waters left. Pearson left. uh, Cam White, Hutt Graham, and John John Davis is now a student coach. (laughs) Yeah, they uh the, the the group is. It is the problem. Texas Tech is top heavy. Um, do I know if the dime package has been eliminated due to depth? Couldn't really tell you. There hasn't okay. been reports at the camps that DeRuiter's bailing on any of his schemes. As far as I know, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that they were trying to show very, very little against Wyoming, and I know they're pissed. They had to show what they did in that game because Oregon has now seen most of the blitz packages they're going to send out of yep. kind of their base defense. Um, but if they were going to do it, I have to imagine based on how just – good brendan jordan is going to be that they'll start putting him out there because he is very, extremely versatile and that's the thing as long as baskerville can fill the role as that secondary's field general it doesn't really matter that brendan jordan's more of a raw talent at this stage but when he's being asked to be kind of the focal point for the defense i do think you see a little bit more breakdown of communication so if you went dime and you had both of those guys out there then you can trust Brendan Jordan to be a little bit more of, okay, we need you here because we're short on safeties. You got a great body type for it. Good height at six feet, 215, move very well. Um, we're going to trust you to let Baskerville call the shot, but we need you out here for this package. Could I see him doing it against Oregon in particular, who's probably going to test tech secondary far more. I mean, uh, no, I, probably about I it. Should think. Will by like 150% more than Wyoming was capable of, unless Bo Nix has an Auburn night hey, and just hey, hey falls apart. It's not cool. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that is Texas tech is praying that we see uh, a different kind of Bo Nix and not the Heisman contender. I think he's kind of turning into um, granted. I think the defense is, is going to play well in this game, but they're up against a very tough challenge. And let me ask you about the cornerbacks again. Um, uh, the, the, they returned both of the starters from last year, Rashad uh, Williams um, from who, uh, it was interesting to see him again because uh, he was at UCLA previously. I was like, wait, I, I remember you um, and Malik Dunlap. Um, and they didn't change their jersey numbers, thank God. Um, but they lose the two backups, uh, Adrian Fry and Kobe Miner. Uh, do I have that right? Yeah, and okay. that that group that actually at corner, I think they feel a bit better. There's a bit more experience in true color corners. For instance, this week on the 2D, Braylon Lux is actually listed or 
with Malik Dunlap. So there, there right. is. I wanted to ask you about that because I read, a, 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 interestingly, I'd also seen Braylon Lux before because he transferred from Fresno and, I, and Oregon opened their 2021 season with Fresno. So I, I had seen him before. Um, and those were the three guys that I saw. Lux actually got the start. Um, but I thought I saw that like Dunlap was like dinged up a little bit. But then I saw. Up. Yeah, um, but then I saw him later in the game. So I'm like, is he banged up or not? Like, I think I think he is still probably a little sore i haven't seen the latest injury report on him but what i will say is that braylon lux really sold the staff with a fantastic uh uh he came in from fresno and they have been pretty much raving about him since he yeah. got on campus Former i think walk on really, too i mean he I had to earn really a scholarship in, at fresno yeah i think he really has impressed the staff and that malik dunlap i don't remember what he's actually dealing with but i think he is a little bit banged up but they are legitimately part of the reason you're seeing a lot of braylon lux is because braylon lux has one starting time he's one yeah. minutes on the field by impressing well, the staff i think even if malik dunlap was 100 percent healthy those two that that's why that group is so well-landed is because lux can come in and provide a third cover corner um and He's a little undersized, admittedly. Not like he's short, but under six feet in modern college football almost yeah. feels like a death sentence. But uh, he, he that has helped that group immensely. He has probably been – Baskerville's a huge impact transfer, but Braylon Lux was a guy that wasn't really on anybody's radar, and then all reports since he showed up were, hey, we should pay attention to this kid out of Fresno. He plays hard. He plays I, I well. I want to ask you one more um... – uh, housekeeping question before I ask you a, my final opinion question of the night. Yeah. Uh, the housekeeping question is they got another transfer cornerback, AJ McCarty, um, who I last saw at Baylor. And I thought I read that there was some problem. Uh, with yeah. Him. So this but is, then I didn't see him playing against Wyoming. Did you know his status? So, is? Uh, this is uh, not the time to say, you know, um, many unkind words about the NCAA. His, waiver as of i think now is still up in the air okay. they were told it would be settled before the game it was not he could not make a trip out because of the uncertainty regarding his waiver they want him badly they want okay. him badly on the field to provide he had a lot of experience at baylor they want him badly he would immediately improve this unit overall he's a versatile player but i as of i think today there has not been an update from the ncaa about uh, right. his status um, I know the last I actually made an effort to check, I think was Monday that they hadn't said anything new. I'm checking. There's a beat reporter who's been tracking it very, very closely. Um, and I'll look and see if he's given a new update on it. But I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be banging a, my F5 key. You know? <laughs> yeah, he, he, it is, it is a situation in which they, as of Wyoming, they were actually still waiting on word. And I don't think they've gotten any words. Okay. Since then. It's a bad situation. It's it's one of the many waivers that seem held up for no damn reason. So uh, my opinion question for you, uh, you said that uh, uh, Lux uh, improves the room and, and that he uh, surprised everybody uh, by earning, you know, a bunch of playing time. Uh, you said that they desperately want McCarty uh, to get cleared by the NCAA and would improve the room. Uh, my opinion question for you is, are Rashad Williams and Malik Dunlap good cornerbacks? I think so, but I think are they are they world beaters? I don't think anybody thinks that. I think this is one of the best cover corner groups that Tech has had in a while. It is one of the most experienced, actually good starting corner groups. Um, because, and like I said, part of this is just 
you're playing against recent history and there's been a lot of bad in, 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 in the cover department. Um, since really Adrian Fry had a really good year, I think it was his freshman or sophomore year. Since then, mm-hmm. there has not really been much to speak of out of the cornerback group. These guys have been here now um, a couple of years. They played extremely well. Everybody was excited to get them back another year. I think they are good cover corners, but I think Texas Tech's biggest issue is depth, right? And that it doesn't speak to the fact that Rashad Williams and Malik Dunlap aren't good corners. I think it speaks to the fact that Texas Tech has had a problem fading in games and that that problem is only fixed by generating good depth. And guys like Lux and McCarty add a lot of depth. That is, you're, we're in a conference that's going to throw the ball. They're going to, th- Oregon is going to attack Texas Tech in a lot of ways over yeah. the secondary. I mean, I, will- I'm not predicting necessarily that this is what is going to happen, but the quickest way for this game to be over, I mean, like over in the first quarter, is is that is you know next to franklin lights up one of these guys and it's like 14-0 before you can get your beer open yeah and that's like i'm not saying these guys are just shut down ace corners but i think they're good and i think the issue texas tech has in the secondary is that number one the depth like i mentioned but number two um there have been constant communication issues with the secondary group i don't know what's really causing it. I saw it last year too. The Mm -hmm. number one way guys got beat were just somebody wasn't where they were supposed to be. Wasn't there were some instances and it'll happen because these like I said, I don't think these guys are just absolute world beaters. Nobody thinks that. They're good players. They're solid players. They work hard. They play well in run support. They do well covering but they're not going to be they're not going to take on some of the best receivers in college football and expected to just shut them down one on one. They're not putting anybody in an island. But what has killed this team more often than not since 2022, which I'm sure you saw is just where the hell was the safety, you know, or where, what, why did you, why did the corner break inside when you know he's, when he's got safety help inside things like that, where Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I I know hundred percent what you're talking about making. Yeah. I, I just, I think that's the biggest problem with this group, less raw talent depth and some, there is currently still, it's a second year defensive coordinator. There are still growing pains with it. Uh, we saw a lot of it against Wyoming. There were numerous instances in which the secondary just seemed out of sorts, which allowed Wyoming to find success in moments where they really needed to not find success. But, you know, overall, what the worst case scenario for Texas Tech in this game, the worst case scenario is they come out with a similar game plan against Wyoming, which I think you'll see some of where they're not really they're going to put a lot of emphasis on exotic blitz packages and they're going to tell the secondary, we're going to have to trust you guys. We're going to back you guys off a bit because you're going to give a cushion. You just are in this game. And we're going to have to trust you guys in coverage because we got to get to Bo Nix. We have to get to Bo Nix early and often. We have to get him on the ground. We have got to get that passing game off rhythm because Oregon's talented across the board. You cannot sit back and let Bo Nix pick you apart. He's best when you let him do that. If he gets comfortable, this this game can get ugly in a hurry. You've got the horses in the defensive line to do it. You've got the horses on the edge to do it. But the secondary is a concern because they are going to be asked to play perfect football. You will be you'll you'll be asked to play perfect football. I, I look, I think Texas Tech is going to keep this game competitive. I love this program. I'm going to be right there with them. But could the secondary get lit up? It is a real possibility. It's one that's shown up. Making of the Cotton Club crew a Texas Tech podcast, it is so 
awesome when we get someone who is passionate about the team that knows about the team and sometimes it's really great when they also need to vent because then we get so much knowledge about them Megan, thanks so much for coming on yeah guys it was a lot of fun um i'll be i'll be around after the game um hopefully not too depressed by the outcome i'm really pulling for these guys i'm really hoping this is a lot of fun and it is the game we were promised all through the off season do i think tech can win this one and do i think i'll be celebrating We'll see, but I'll be rooting hard, hard as I can, and hopefully we can have uh, uh, so everybody at least feels like we got a good football game at the end of this one, and everybody walks away with some momentum going forward. Absolutely. That'd be wonderful. Um, listeners, please, again, go over to whatever you're listening this to this podcast on. Go over and find Cotton Club Crew. Give them five stars. Give them a comment. And do it for a Quackful podcast, too, while you're at it. And then over on Twitter, at Hithliday1. More importantly, though, go over to Addicted to Quack and read Hithliday's work because that's where all this is going, and it's always very informative. Thanks for hopping on, Hithliday. Uh, it was my pleasure. Making it was uh, uh, fantastic talk to you. I am also rooting for a great game, uh, and I think we'll get it. All right, y'all. Go Ducks. Go Red Raiders.